Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a Doof Media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward, Wildbo's return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and I'm actually here talking to you. And this is my co-host, Scott Daly. Me, me too. I'm also here. Totally. Totally. To- totally. Oh no, I died. For real. Totally. This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wild Buzz world of copious limb removal, losing control, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, we call Master Stranger Protocols as we refuse to believe that the end of the book is getting so close. We're covering chapters 20.5 and 20.6. Victoria engages with a fight in a fight with the Mathers Giant and a bunch of cape boys that may or may not be enemies. We'll never find out because she rips their fucking heads off. Fortunately, Victoria outsmarts the Seamurg using the power of being close to Dinah and stabs the Mather Giant right in the fucking eye. Twice. Then, reeling from stuff that may or may not have been real, Vicky searches the kitchen for Dinah while trying to keep everyone else alive. It's chaos, and it ends with a sad, out-of-control Sveta. Matt, what do you think of these two chapters? Uh, Well, this is one week where I'm happy we get to cover these two because of the way I feel like the way that it begins and the way that it ends are, are just like a perfect sort of nugget of story for us to cover. Uh, starts out with Victoria, you know, seeing the Mathers giant and ends with us maybe sort of going in a positive direction. I mean, obviously, I want to read the next <laughs> chapter and see and see what's going to happen next. But like that is like the most hesitant about saying something you've ever been. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I loved it. No, I enjoyed it a lot, too. I mean, there's a lot like we talked last week about how there being some Seamer trickeration. And this is that to the nth degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's there's a lot of fun in the fake outs here and and I want to kind of talk as we go through it about like there there's there's times when stories do this this fake out thing where it just kind of leaves you dissatisfied because you're just like oh well all that wasn't real then so everything I just saw there doesn't matter and I don't think that's what the story does and I kind of want to talk about you know why why it works here and, and one of the other things I want to talk about is the the way in which this story like manages to skirt the line like there's a thing when you decide in my story I want it to feel confusing and chaotic to the point where the reader's point of view matches what is going through the protagonist's head when they can't understand what's going on when it's when it's just chaos mm-hmm. but you need to do that in a way in which it doesn't become incomprehensible to read you know what I mean Absolutely. like it has to feel chaotic but you have to still at least feel like you're holding on to what's going on around you enough where you just don't lose the plot entirely and I think these chapters do a very good good job of, of skirting that line yeah, right. I think uh, I mean I think we'll get into this in more detail, but I think one thing that these chapters do is they sort of give you touchstones where you're like, okay, well, I'm pretty sure this is real, and I'm pretty sure like either this or this happened. Right. In, right. Instead of being like, it could be anything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in, in a certain sense, it could be anything, but in another sense, you kind of expect it to go in, in a certain a certain set of directions. So. Yeah. Yeah. Totally love it. 
A lot of fun. All right. Uh, before we get on into the story, some quick announcements. Uh, first of all, um, there's a worldwide pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Underway. Did you guys Did you guys know about that? There's a There's a big virus around. In case um, you're receiving this podcast in some kind of bunker, yes. There's a. <laughs> it's it's a it's it's a huge disaster. Yeah. I mean, I think just here we just wanted to say, hope everyone's keeping healthy. Hope everyone's keeping safe. Uh, it's it's a crazy time. Um, it's not going to mess with our schedule really at all just because, hey, sitting alone in a room is what we do. So, yeah, <laughs> so we're doing great. Um, but we hope everyone out there is staying safe. And uh, and we're thinking about everyone. If you know someone or, or that has the virus or like I, Matt, Matt and I are in this weird position where our parents are in the danger zone now. Right. Right. Um, and so it's a weird place to be where like I saw my parents this weekend and we were very like. Like we didn't touch each other. <laughs> we were like we we did the whole six feet apart, even though we saw each other. And it's just because I'm very worried about my parents, and it's just it's weird. Yeah, well, I, I convinced my mom to cancel the the trip that she had planned to come visit me. So very smart, yeah. which I felt yeah. good about since I have three small virus incubators who live in my house. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, we basically uh, please enjoy this two hour conversation about the post apocalypse as you. Um, Anyway, um, so first of all, fan art contest. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the winner, right? We're announcing the winner. Yeah. The winner is. <laughs> do you want me to do it or do you want to do it? I'll, I'll do the winner. You do the runner up. How about that? That's fine. For the theme of acceptance, the winner is I Love You Too by Nocturne. Yeah. Uh, an amazing piece in which we see Victoria and her shard give each other a big old, a big old hug. It was yeah. very sweet. I loved it. it. I, I, yeah. I think I saw that when it first appeared and I was instantly like, oh, that's first of all amazing. And also apparently it was created very, very quickly, which is makes it even more impressive. Yeah, that's it's incredible. Um, Nocturne has been like pumping out fan art the past mm-hmm. month or so. That's just like incredible. Um, so it's it was great to see that. And I think it was actually a very close vote between this and the runner up. Right. It was it was very contentious. Um, all the pieces we get are always great, but I don't think we've ever seen a vote quite this close. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Speaking of the runner up, the runner up was uh, a piece called Forfeiture by Aquila. Um, this was actually a piece from Pact and it's a uh, it's a very spoilery piece from Pact. It's like the end of the book. Um, but. I just finished that book recently, so I got to look at it and and not just look at it, Matt. I understood it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it was a very, very good piece as well. Um, just incredible work all around, everyone. Congratulations to Nocturne and Aquila. Um, if you want to check out those two pieces and all of the submissions, you can do so in the show notes of this episode. We'll have that link up. I haven't I haven't created it yet, but this is a reminder to myself to do that before I publish the episode. Um, but you can check that out. And thank you to everyone who submitted. I, I love doing these. And this is probably the last one we're going to get to do before the end of this book, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. I can't wait for everyone to check those pieces out because they're yeah. really great. Yeah. Final announcement. Uh, March's Madness 2020. The Sweet 16 matchups are now live. Yeah, uh, so we're down to only 16 competitors, Matt, already. And as we have the last couple weeks, we'll be going over the results of round two and talking about our picks for round three, the Sweet 16, uh, at the end of the show. So stay, stick around after our discussion question, and uh, and we'll talk some March's Madness. It's been really fun, some surprises, um, some not surprises, uh, just great fun all around. I, yeah. I'm really enjoying it. Twists and turns, high drama. Yeah. All right. All right, let's get into it. All right, chapter 20.5, 
Master Stranger Protocols, Victoria yells at us, the reader. <laughs> um, and Scott, I think that's kind of what Wildbo is doing with this chapter and maybe with this entire arc and maybe with this entire book. And, and by that, I mean, we've been put into a number of situations where our characters, senses, thoughts, behavior temporarily stopped being trustworthy. And this moment is almost the crowning moment of that whole thing um, as Victoria confronts both the Mathers giant and the Seamurg. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 so fun to look back at all the villains of this book, right, and be like, again and again and again, they they have some sort of mind whammy uh, that, that Victoria has to overcome. And, and we've called this out earlier in the book as well. But of course, it's it's perfect for Victoria. It's a perfect thing for Victoria to have to battle her way through. And this is a culmination of all that. This is literally taking um, the empress of mind whammies uh, and landing her on a, a giant that is like genetically engineered by Amy and Chris to be the most effective at doing that particular thing as well. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like we're in the culmination, we are in the final arc of the story now. Um, and it, it feels that it feels that way in every, in every bit, everything is coming together in this way. Yeah. I think one way of putting it might be that the Seamurg is, it makes it so you can't trust your mind. The Mathers giant makes it so you can't trust your senses. And that makes for some pretty incredible, uh, moments actually. Yeah. Yeah, and I like how Wildbow telegraphs this culmination. The, the thing that you're talking about is telegraphed by the, the story here where it says, now she had her hands on an empowered, giant-sized Christine Mathers manufactured for us by my fucking sister and fucking cryptid. Fucking fuck, fuck, fuck. Um, so, like, that's great, first of all. The fucking fuck, fuck, fuck is just, I love Victoria. But yeah. um, on the top of that, it, it, we're literally saying, okay, we've got the Seamurk. We've got the Mathers giant. Here's our mind whammy villains. And then also... Uh, Amy was involved in creating those. So we're throwing Amy in this and then we're throwing Chris in this, which so much of the rest of the book is reliant on or, or seems to be reliant on what's going to happen with Chris. So it's like a that those those couple sentences really summarize the uh, the culmination of this thing. Yeah, I like that. I like that framing. So Victoria like immediately starts making her way to Dinah, uh, which is, you know, in her view, her like one, maybe possibly Trump card. And then it kind of turns out that getting to Dinah will become basically the goal of both of today's chapters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we were talking a little bit earlier in the intro about how this sh these two chapters managed to hold on to clarity, even as they're intentionally being confusing and off putting and, and chaos. -y. And I do think that this choice to basically make the clear goal of both these chapters is get to Dinah. That is the clear, like as much as things get crazy, as much as we're not sure what to believe, what we're seeing, what we're hearing, like all of that is caught into called in, into question. All of that is called into doubt. But the one thing we know without a shadow of a doubt is that Victoria's goal in both of these chapters is to get to Dinah and have Dinah help. Um, and, and that clarity of objective allows you i think to do the chaosy stuff with everything else because you know you know that we're clear on that yeah uh, this is one of the things i had in mind when i was talking about like grounding us like like mm -hmm. wabo grounds us in okay at least we know at least we know what the goal is yeah yeah it's it's very smart and like because there's this big nebulous like genocide thing still hovering over this right yeah and that we still still i, I wind like five minutes last week about how I still don't understand what this means. Um, and we get no clarity here yet either, but 
that's for later. Right now, in the confusion of right now, our goal is clear, our objective is clear, and we've got to work towards that as all this crazy shit is happening. Yep, yep. And I think that this is a really fun chapter um, to talk about because you can talk about it on at least two levels. Mm -hmm. One level, I think, is talking about the subjective experience of the first read-through and how that was achieved um, through the text. And then the second layer is trying to figure out what really happened. Yeah, yeah. And um, we're going to try to do that. Look, it's not clear, right? And it's intentionally not clear. Part of the fun of this one-two punch of chapters is that you don't know what's happening, and then you find out what's happening, but then you still aren't exactly sure what happened. Uh, The goal of the writing seems to stick you so close to Victoria's point of view that you're just uncertain and discombobulated, and and that matches how she's going. We, in, in these chapters, we only know a bit more about the situation than Victoria does. Like, the one thing we know that Victoria doesn't is the Chris Seamurg stuff, but that doesn't really come into play very much in these two chapters. So we are really, besides that, right with Victoria, right in line with Victoria about what's going on. So we're, we're as close to her point of view as we've ever been. And, um, and so we're just as confused and scared and unsure as she is. Yeah. And normally I read these chapters twice. I read them once like normal speed for, for enjoyment. And then I take notes and read through them again and and make the notes for this script. Mm -hmm. Um, This time I read these chapters three times. Yeah. The, The first time through, um, basically just, you know, to get the, to get the, to get the like full experience of the entertainment and the confusion and the chaos. And then the second time I read, I read again almost immediately, not almost immediately, but like the next day, I think, because I was like, I want to try to figure out what happened. And like, that was, that was entertaining for me. It's like, okay, now, now I can, I, I know how things ended up. So I'm going to go back through and see if I can figure out which parts of it were actually real and so forth mm-hmm. um, and, and and get some clarity there. And I think I wonder how many people did that just for fun, like started over and read the chapters again just to get a better sense of of, of what happened. Because, it, I mean, it definitely there's an element of, of the mystery uh, to how these chapters were written. Yeah, definitely. And and I think um, we're like we said, we're going to try to do some of that. I, I think yeah. some of it even even as I did that process, there's still a lot of it that is still kind of unknown to me about the reality or the unreality of. So we get little bits and pieces and little clues about things that definitely did happen and things that definitely didn't happen, but it's intentionally like designed to bits and pieces. I think even on retrospect, even on reread, Wild Bill still wants you to be a little bit confused and uncertain um, because that's like even, even on retrospect, Victoria is still a little confused and uncertain. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. So uh, as the battle begins, the Seamurg uses her telekinesis to grab hold of the distal parts of everybody's costumes and splat them into walls and pillars and so forth. Oof, oof. Um, and and in, in fact, this setting is either like in or like on top of or underneath uh, one of teacher's big propaganda pagodas. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, Fragile One cushions Victoria from taking too much damage. Yeah, by like reaching inside its own mouth to like cradle her head because yeah. that's just what we're doing now. Right. Um, it, it's it's really brutal. This opening salvo like really sets the tone for the way the rest of this chapter is going to go. And I, I love like vintage Victoria here. Like the Seamurk has just picked a bunch of people up and splattered them into walls. And Victoria's first thought on this is, 
It was hard to shake the feeling of responsibility, like there'd been something I could do. I felt like the driver of the car that had wrecked, and with no scream from the Seamerg and no sounds from the people around me as they were flung, there was just a series of hard, wet noises of as bodies crunched into the wall, some at angles so violent that I couldn't make sense of the shape of them post-impact. I mean, that's brutal and terrible, but also like the, yeah, I was driving this car, and I just want to be like, no, no, you weren't. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? Yeah, I love that. That's that's so awful, right? Like there's there's kind of no need to frame it that way mm-hmm. um, other than the fact that, I mean, you know, she feels responsible for all of this for reasons that don't really make sense. But we've been following her long enough to get that. Yeah, that this is what she's going to do to herself. She's going to feel guilty about everything that happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like we have to like go read through this book again and catalog every time like the driving of cars is used as a metaphor for behaviors especially surrounding victoria and uh-huh. her and her uh shard because uh-huh. it's a lot it's a lot <laughs> yeah and we even have the car moment in the first chapter it's mm-hmm. very interesting yeah but i mean this does set this tone of like i mean prepare humans is pretty brutal in, in general a lot of violence a lot of gross things yeah but there was something about this fight uh starting pretty much here as you just hear like hard wet noises as bodies crunched into the wall can't make sense of the shape post impact like this sets the tone for how this fight is going to go it's just brutal and painful and like i like winced several times which is not really normal for me in in, in reading um and i i mean i I see this as being part of kind of the seamer psychological warfare she's not just going to kill somebody she's going to maul them in a way that's horrifying to even imagine yeah. And I mean, we don't even know if they're really killed or not. And like there's this this weird thing when you do these kind of fake out illusion things that like the author gets the permission to be way more brutal than they normally would, because like normally a story is not just going to kill like 20 people at once. Right. Like, yeah, especially if they're important characters. But when you do this kind of um, not cheat, but like illusion thing you can be even more brutal than normal because it's just, it's fake. It's not real. But here, some of it is definitely fake, but not all of it. I mean, Victoria yeah. is definitely thrown here. I think even by the end of these chapters, we're not really sure what, what, who, how many people really died. Right. Right. Um, like right. even at a certain point, the, it's, it's like, Oh, the illusions fell away. And then it's like, well, no, they hadn't actually fallen away at that point. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. Anyway. Uh, so what appears to be happening uh, on first pass, at least, is that the Seamurg and her 20 uh, red capes, uh, the, the sort of corrupted capes, are fighting Victoria and a scattering of others. And there's there's brutal things happening. Um, uh, you know, dude gets his feet cut off. Victoria rips Spider-Man's legs off. A lot of lower limb maiming in general. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we have a lot to say about Spider-Man uh, and we will find out more about him in the next chapter. But like we've been talking about, there's all kinds of weirdness going on. And one of the things I I love about this quote unquote fake out is it's not really a fake out. I mean, it is. But while both showing you his cards like Victoria started last ended last chapter and started this chapter getting a very brief look at the Mathers giant. Like so we know um, that this could be largely fake, like at least at least the things that she's seeing could be largely fake right right? and 
so it's not necessarily a surprise when we start learning things end up being real. But like like we said, we don't know the difference between there is no clear demarcation between thing that is real and really happening and thing that isn't. So when we're seeing this brutality, when we're seeing these people crunched against the walls and the people dying, we're still not sure. Did that happen? Christ, I hope I hope that didn't happen. Please tell me that didn't happen. And and Victoria is kind of doing that same thing, too. Right. Like at one point, her flesh starts to burn. She breaks her collarbone. Her wound opens up again and is pouring blood. And she basically says, this has got to be the Mathers giant fucking with me. This I'm not really this hurt. I, I'm not really feeling these things. This has to be the, the giant fucking with me. And she kind of like like files it away as that and just proceeds on. But. To, to your point, there are so many moments where you're like, is it fake, though? Yeah. <laughs> like like when she starts ripping limbs off the spider cape, the guy cries out in a childlike voice and you're like, wait, <laughs> yeah, what did you just see there? Um, and we don't know, really. I mean, yeah. we find out next chapter that that spider guy was a hero and she looks at him and says he seems to be doing okay he doesn't look like he's lost all control of himself Uh oh yeah right i mean just to spoil the next uh you know the next chapter a, a tiny bit like i i think that there's a good chance that both that cape and mukade both like saw victoria as being the bad guy like she maybe looked super evil and, and aggressive and, and they were just defending themselves it and could be. yeah um like obviously that's if that's true then it's gonna really fuck victoria up when she learns that which yeah. is exactly the kind of thing this book would do so <laughs> yeah yeah but i love like there's this there's this almost built-in contradiction here between the fact that everything's chaotic and she's doubting everything she sees while simultaneously quote being hyper aware of every last detail around me right like she's she doesn't know what to believe not certain but still hyper aware of every single detail um and then there's this great moment where she's sending out the fragile one to fight um the fragile one gets knocked out and she says the interval before she appeared around me felt a fraction longer but i wasn't sure i was processing that right is that just the mathers giant fucking with you i don't know we don't know we don't know yeah yeah, that, that that was one of those really small details that I almost slipped my mind because I was just like, God, oh, there's just so much shit to keep track of. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So, you know, like I just said, speaking of uh, Mukade, uh, Victoria uh, kills Mukade. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, I really think that um, I really think that he was probably defending himself. I mean, for all we know, everybody here is on the good guy team um, and like them fighting each other is all just um uh, you know uh set up um or or maybe like mukare wasn't here at all and this is just you know uh the mathers giant makes him appear here because simurg knows that it'll mess with victoria like we we can't be sure which of these things is true or maybe it was just what it appeared to be and mukare actually kind of went around the bend and was attacking her right. could be any of these three things or some other crazy thing yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, because Mukade is like the perfect Seamurg fuck you tool, right? Like to whether Mukade is here or not, it's the perfect thing to to throw at Victoria. Um, and, and I think we can make guesses that Mukade was still here because we do see later that Victoria is burned. Yeah. Um, so acid. Yeah. So so we can make the assumptions that Mukade was there and acid was landing on her. And that's what's that's happening here. Um it's but it is like it is so awful and and we got the seamurg like people crying and chanting you'll melt um 
and, and like yeah. I don't want to blame her for killing him here, but who the fuck knows, right? We don't know. Um, and, like I love when she when she makes the choice and like arranges things to land to like basically punch holes in him. The line is, "Sorry, Mukade." I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's awful. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think we're we're doing that thing that we do sometimes where we forget to mention things that we could easily mention. So M- M- Mukade is is uh, the cape who who gave Victoria her like arm and leg, I think wounds mm-hmm. when she was fighting cradle and cradle his mercenaries. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, they make like scorpion or no, um, centipedes with yeah. acid spines and stuff. Yeah. So. They bust out of him and yeah. make acid spines. Like I look, I, I love the way in which wild Bo describes Mukade's death here though. It's yeah. just like, it makes me sad because I, I don't know whether I want to believe you and say that, no, he was a good guy just trying to help out and she just fucking killed him. But but like Mukade already with several holes in his side and back for the centipedes to come out of, got a few more holes in his body. He sat down heavily, head turning slightly, then flopped back more like a child's doll than a person gone. Um, and that is like. That's powerful. Yeah. And, and I can't help but like notice the like we have a child imagery here with the, like she relates him to a child's doll. Um, we have the spider guy who she's ripping limbs off of uh, crying out in a childlike voice. And we don't know if that's the Mathers giant fucking with her. Right. Like we, like we learn later that just seeing someone is enough to give you access to all five of your senses. So yeah. she can do whatever she wants at this point. So. Mukade could have opened his mouth and said something and we didn't hear it. Spider guy could have opened his mouth and she heard a childlike cry to reinforce, to, to fuck with her and mess with her mind even more. We don't know, but I do think like seeing this, this double beat of childlike imagery at, in these two people, she's like ruthlessly killing uh, is just rough. It's just real rough. Yeah. I mean, I think just again, the, the type of thing that would sort of break Victoria is her finding out that she, killed like heroes because yeah. she she puts heroes in this special category um in her mind i, I really i think and yeah. and she's very she's she usually tries her hardest not to kill she has killed before in the story uh, but it always weighs on her heavily and i think that for all her telling herself like oh, you can't you can't be so hard on yourself when the seamerg is, is in play i i don't think that's gonna matter to her if, if this is what actually happened yeah so. yeah um so one of the things I really like about this battle, though, is and one of the things that also calls into question everything is that the Seamurg is apparently making it so every single time someone is about to attack Victoria, it comes out with what Victoria describes as a whisper. Um, the melt line that we already talked about, like later it, it, we see you'll die, melt Antares, die. And then it just shifts to pe- it slowly shifts to people just calling out Antares' name, which then switches to calling out for help saying Antares, please. And like, I, we don't know what to think about this, right? Because she chalks them up originally as just the same kind of whispers that Victoria has been getting since the start of this arc. This is the start of this arc. She's been hearing whispers on the wind and those have accelerated the longer she's hung out with the Seamurg. And now she's hearing things she's describing as whispers here. We find out a little bit later that at least some of these were Roman yelling to her, asking for help. And, and like you were talking about with the spider guy, maybe with Mukade, these could literally be the people saying, Victoria and Terry's stop, stop mm-hmm. attacking, stop <laughs> like and we don't we and it's being 
mutated or changed or she's hearing something else. Um, and it's it's really frightening. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, right. I mean, she did she did walk into the room and say Master Stranger Protocols and then proceed to be super violent. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, that's that. I like that idea that it hadn't occurred to me that they're basically all, all like everyone here is heroes and they're just saying they're just trying to get her to stop. It's possible. Yeah. yeah I mean, what, well, what she does is like she walks into the room. She says Master Stranger Protocols. Uh, the Seamark picks people up and throws them. And then she gets a glimpse and sees heroes standing around the Mathers giant not moving and basically says, OK, those got to be red, right? Those have to be red people because they're standing around the Seamark and the, and the giant. Therefore, they're on her side. Red, bad enemies. Um, but all her senses can't be trusted right now. Yeah. Right. I think I think we do know. um we we know that that's where they were keeping the um the people who they disabled right so so there should be red people in the vicinity definitely but that doesn't mean that those are the people who she's fighting is yeah how i would put that yeah. certainly certainly yeah because we see we see blood play next chapter um so yeah definitely yeah there are a bunch of people that have been compromised that are now loose that is absolutely true and look mukade could be one of those and i would it would make me very happy if that was the case because i would feel less horrified for victoria um but we just don't know yeah um, so at some point in here, Vicky breaks her collarbone. I'm actually not entirely sure how this happens. Um, I think she's like is trying to dodge stuff and is like thrown into the ground really hard. OK. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, that follows. Um, she, she I mean, she gets hit into the ground a couple. She gets hit several times um, and injured a, a few times. But yeah, the, the collarbone break is apparently like bleeding and there's a cut there and there's burns and she's just getting real messed up. Yeah, and I've never broken my collarbone before, but I have talked with people that have broken their collarbone before. And let me tell you something, Matt. It hurts. Uh It hurts a whole lot. It's like debilitating pain. You can't move your arm anymore. Like, and your neck doesn't want to move very much either. Uh, It's real bad. (laughs) It's real bad. And Victoria's solution to this, of course, is it's probably not real. This is probably fake. But even if it is real, what else am I going to do? I'll just keep going anyway. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, fair but also ow yeah i I developed a little theory um after this and and last week so i pointed out last week that uh victoria is getting more and more physically messed up Mm -hmm. and it's gotten even worse now but i remember last week she was already kind of bloody and her costumes all ripped up and 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 then um gil patrick sees her and tells her she looks good Mm -hmm. and i was like i processed that for a while and then it popped into my head like, yeah, but Gilpatrick's power is seeing the f- physical manifestations of the lies that you're telling yourself. So if Gilpatrick thinks she looks good, then then that's the lie she's telling herself. Yeah. yeah. I, I, refresh my memory. When she saw Gilpatrick, had she had she been sliced open yet? I don't think <sighs> so. I don't think she had the, the cut on her forehead that, that was like bleeding all over her face. Um, I think think she did have the the neck injury i don't think so i think that was i'm trying to remember well she didn't have the she didn't, she have, didn't the, have the neck she didn't, she have, didn't the have the blood play, play energy yeah. yeah she didn't have the blood play she had um i don't remember why exactly maybe i'm wrong but i like this idea anyway yeah, I, I, do, I do i mean i think it is fun i think it's fun to the idea that like gilpatrick sees people the lies people are telling themselves manifest and sometimes that manifests as terrible things that he hates to look at but in victoria's case the lie is that she's fine so he manifests her the look at her um as just totally fine um but i mean we do have to remember that at that point in the fight victoria was like an eight 
and was doing and was had convinced herself she was doing pretty good. And Victoria is like very good at um at like displaying her being aware and displaying a version of herself that she really likes that or yeah. she that looks confident and looks poised and looks in control. So um, I, I'm not saying I'm wanting to shoot down your theory. I think it's fun. I really like it. Um, and it would it would like like plug in a reason for why Gilpatrick's power was introduced there. Um, but I'm not I'm not sure. Yeah, I think one conspicuous thing about this arc so far is that you and I have like waffled between like man, Victoria's doing really great now. This is great. And I don't know. (laughs) She's, everybody else around her is getting freaked out by her. Like, because like we both desperately, we talked about this a lot last episode. Like we both desperately want to believe that she's doing all better now. And like, this is her, this is her, we we said victory lap a bunch of times. Um, But we're both very, very skeptical. Um, uh, and I think yeah. that's continuing to kind of manifest here. It, it is. It is. And I, I don't I, I don't want to make it seem like I'm just covering for myself in that. Like I my, like, I, I don't think our lack of confidence in what's going on means we're doing a bad job at our job of analyzing this book. I think I think this is what exactly what the book wants us to feel. If you get my drift, like I, I don't I don't think I don't think like there are clues in the text necessarily that make it a hundred percent clear that Victoria is a or B, right? Yeah. I think the book is written to be intentionally, um, nebulous in that regard. Um, I think, I mean, I feel the same. I mean, if, if I didn't feel the same, then I would be arguing like, no, no, she's actually great or, or Mm -hmm. vice versa. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm not just I'm not cool. just giving myself an excuse, but also uh, I'm giving myself an excuse. So yes, that's it's not my fault. It's the book's fault. Ambiguity. There we go. <laughs> um, yeah. So finally, uh, Chevalier arrives or appears to. We can't be sure of anything. Uh, Victoria <laughs> takes a break to find who was calling her name. And she finds Roman, who is apparently lying on top of a crushed and dead Aisha. Uh, they get into a emotional power contest and here we have roman directly making the connection between antares power and heartbreakers okay let's take these things one at a time because there's a whole lot in what you just said there uh-huh. uh number one chevalier's back and in spite of myself i, I did get a little moment of oh we're fine now <laughs> yeah <laughs> because like of course that's not true but i chevalier is like been this i've loved this character since we first met him and whatever he arrives on the battle there's to me always this sense of whew um, and even though obviously like we don't get that here, I, I still felt that in the moment when I first read it. Yeah. All right. The, the most important thing though, imp is dead, Matt. I know. Imp is dead. See, see, that was one moment where I was like, okay, that's not real. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, I went into full denial mode right uh-huh. away. Like I was like, Mather's giant is here. That's not real. That's not real. That's just fucking with it. Yeah, totally. hundred percent. Um, but (laughs) I will say there was this little nagging thought in the back of my head that would not go away. That was like, well, her interlude was kind of about how her children were needing her less and less. And there was this great moment where she talked about how Roman would be a hero someday. And, and she was said it with like pride that she was proud of him getting to that place. And, and it sure would be, poetic if she like died saving this guy she saw as being a future hero one day 
one last one last act as their surrogate mother. And then I was like, fuck, fuck, no, don't do this, Scott. Um, but I, I think like I do not think Imp is dead here. And we find out in the next chapter um, some interpretations of those moments <laughs> aside that Imp is not dead. But um, I, I got to admit that when reading it for the first time, there is there is a lens in which this is a, a, a narr- like a, a narrative culmination for Aisha that um, that wouldn't feel like I was robbed of yeah. her, her story. Um, well, but, you know, I'll tell you why she can't be dead here and you're not going to like the answer. OK, it's because we've only had two instances in this book of her seeming to be dead and then not, not actually being dead. Oh, so you're saying we need a, a third is what you're saying? I mean, well, but then the third is the subversion. So. In which she's actually dead. In which she's actually dead. Okay. Well, we we got a few more chapters at least, so we'll find yeah. out. Yeah, we'll find out. Maybe but this yeah. is maybe this is like Wild Bo's Brian moment, where instead of <laughs> instead of um, no, it's the same thing. Like no, it's Brian's. It's alive. It's totally alive. And then we're gonna find out in the epilogue that no, actually, <laughs> she was actually actually dead. she was dead the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. That would be that. That would suck. It would. Yeah. It would. <laughs> um, okay, so now let's talk about Roman a little bit here. Sure. So, so what happened here, or at least what Victoria thinks happens here, is that at least a few of the whispers or the shouts Victoria was hearing, um, probably the specific ones that were like, Antares, please, um, was Roman calling for help? And at one point, she uses her aura and pushes out with what she describes as good old fear and pushes it out in the direction those screams are coming from. And they stop and then only later realizes that it was Roman that she nailed with her aura and it's like, oops, <laughs> my bad. Yeah. Um, and then like in this moment, like, I don't know, maybe it's just because I love Imp so much that I read something into it. I didn't. Her diagnosis of Imp as dead and the, the her reaction to it comes off. And I don't think Victoria means it this way, but it comes off as very heartless. Right. Mm-hmm. Roman's just like crying. It's like, please help her. Please help her. Please help her. And she just like, can't. No, you got to come with me. Got to leave her. Come on. Yeah. Um, and just like picks him up to grab him and take him away. And yeah. he rages her. She auras him back. And that's when Roman makes the connection that you made last week, the heartbreaker connection, um, when he is basically like, that won't work on me. It's my dad did that to me all the time. You right. idiot. And they fight. Yeah. Um, it's it's tough. It's it's really, really painful. Um, just every part of it is painful. Like the, and I, I, I'm not trying to say like Victoria is heartless towards the death of Imp. Um, I think part of Victoria maybe doesn't believe what she's seeing. And part of Victoria knows that there was nothing she can do anyway. And so like, she's just trying to be pragmatic in the situation, which has got to get to Dinah, got to get to Dinah, got to get to Dinah. Everything rests on that. Um, and, and so it comes off as heartless and uncaring. Um, but I don't think that's what it is, but that's certainly, yeah how Roman took it. And I don't think that's wrong. No, I think, I think it's more like she's, uh, closer to panic and terror and, and messed up at having maybe just killed someone. Um, I mean, next chapter she's even worse off, but I think here she's well on her way to that point. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I I find it easy to kind of overlook any, uh, any of uh, like, she sees Sveta in like 30 seconds and Sveta is like, hold on, you, you, you look like shit. Um, yeah, I yeah. Need, to, need to, need to talk to you for a second. Yeah. Can we, uh, we need to have a, a chat to the side yeah. of Victoria. Um, I, I really like this sentence though, or this, this paragraph rather I'd fought this hard to get to this hallway. I couldn't shake the feeling 
that the fact it had been Roman calling my voice was the Seamurk's plan. A delay, the one person who I cared about enough to take the time to rescue, but not as important as one of my teammates might have been. Which is just like, I get I get what she's trying to say here, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, this is a guy who's important, but not like, not like super important. Important, right. important enough on her list, but not like super important. Um, and I get what she's trying to say there, but it's just like, it's, I think we're kind of seeing how she's just switched to all out pragmatism that like, I am not going to let myself feel or react to any of the things that are happening. I am only going to view it through the lens of what is the seamer doing to me with this? And it just yeah. comes off as like, Ooh, ouch. Ouch. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, it comes off as callous, but simultaneously yeah. it's completely understandable if, if you're in the situation where you understand that you're being managed um, you're you're gonna second guess every single choice you make and be like, well, hold on, yeah, yeah. Ha- what are the implications of this? And like, is it possible that this was set up for me? Um, yeah, no, I, I I get it, and I'm not like I'm not trying to call out yeah. Victoria here. That's not my intent, but I, it's just like I can see why Roman in this moment is like furious at her. Yeah, um, and I, like so, one of the things that I want to he specifically says here that Horora is not going to be successful on him because he's like not immune but he's so used to emotional manipulation from his father but when she did like push out with her aura earlier when he was screaming it did stop him so was it a stop not a stop of like she cowed him into fear but just like she reacted to him and so he stopped calling out to her because he was annoyed or something i don't know i don't know yeah i'm not sure if the heartbroken are all like immune to emotion powers. I think maybe they just had more experience in dealing with it. So mm-hmm. it's entirely possible to my mind that he actually was hit by her fear aura and, and reacted by, you know, deciding to shut up because, you know, Oh, oh no, I'm, I'm scared now. I, yeah. I don't want people to find me. Um, I mean, isn't it generally true that emotion um, powered people like are more resistant to emotion powers. That's though. true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying resistant, just more, more resistant. It's possible that, um, that, yeah, he just saw it as like, a uh, Oh, right. she, she, she saw me or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was her saying, okay, I'm on my way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, an aura of fear. You know, this just kind of popped into my mind and I wanted to put it out there. Sure. Um, the, remember when, uh, when, when, uh, they were kind of having the interdimensional standoff and, Victoria was thinking that she had this like intuition, this like sort of shard induced intuition where she was like noticing details that led her to uh, sort of help resolve that situation in a more favorable fashion. I'm not I'm having trouble remembering all the exact details right now, but like she um, it uh, ultimately like her attention was drawn to a certain cape. And then she was like, hey, pay attention to what that cape is doing. And it turned out to really be helpful that she'd done that. And mm-hmm. and it was like, oh, Waste is giving her like this insight into into like what the other shards are doing or something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I just completely forgot about that and haven't been thinking about it. But I, now I kind of want to to reprocess some of the recent events in light of this idea that like she has maybe a, a slight back door that that gives her at least a bit of an intuition into what she should be doing and shouldn't be doing. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. I, I, I like that in that it maybe makes me <laughs> makes me less worried about the choices she's making because it's like, oh, no, it's not that she just killed that innocent person. It's she trusted her fragile one intuition. Mm hmm. 
Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, the text hasn't explicitly reminded us of that in a while, but um, mm-hmm. maybe maybe we've been a bit delinquent and we should have been paying attention to to that kind of thing. I don't know. Right. I, I'll, I'll pay more attention going forward, though. Sure, 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 sure. Okay. Um, yeah, so Victoria finally makes it to this hallway. Uh, she joins up with Sveta and Rain, who have located the Undersiders, and Dinah, who is being held at knife point by Zugzwang, uh, who Victoria deals with. Yeah, I just want to point out that Matt's entire notes for this whole thing was just Victoria deals with him. She rips his fucking head off, Matt. She rips his head off. Uh-huh. Um, I think we, we need to say Zugzwain is a chess term that means basically a situation in which you force your opponent to make a move that ends up being super detrimental to them. Um, I wonder if like ripping a dude's head off counts as that. I don't know. Yeah, I I got the I got the sense it was some kind of something where like I, I don't know. I, I didn't get the firmest sense of his power, but like he seems to duplicate himself. He, on, he, right. Right. He, he seems to he seems to du- duplicate himself, which made me think. She ripped the she ripped one of the heads off and then she broke the legs of all the other ones, which is equally brutal. And then we don't really know like what what ended up happening to the final Zugzwang if yeah. uh, or, or or if that's how that works or or whatever. Um I, I like the idea of of doing it um like the power is that you make a move on the person you think it is, and there and then it duplicates out into three, and so it's like it's made you made this move because you thought you had the upper hand on them. And yeah. then it turns out that it was actually just like a honey trap and there's three more of them. Stand- like, you know, like we don't get a lot of information about the power, but that's kind of where I saw it going with that. Um, yeah. But it doesn't work because she just fucking wrecks him. Yeah. Um, I Like I do like in the next chapter, there's this brief moment where Victoria is like, was that guy even really bad or was that just I don't know what happened there. <laughs> and I think her her logic there was. Dinah didn't seem to mind. <laughs> yeah. And so that she just like we're seeing a lot of Victoria just like trying her best to file things away and, and make snapshot decisions based off stuff um, because she kind of has to. Right. It's like she's just this jumble of feelings and uncertainties and, and confusion. And it's just like, OK, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. Dinah was fine with that. So that one was probably OK. Let's move on. Um, it's just it's just rough. It's just rough. Yeah. Right. Pretty much anything that's, I mean, even this whole conversation in the hallway where she finds Rain and Sveta and and Tattletail and Gru, I, I, I was reading and I was like, is that how Gru would really say that? Huh. <laughs> is that, huh, I don't know if Sveta would, well, why would, why would Rain be? Hmm. And yeah, yeah. And we get little bits and pieces of this to make you think that parts of it are real. Right. But how much? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I do like, like. There, the, to just add to the creepiness, there's like moments where Dinah is getting her throat slashed that that it's not slashing, right? Yeah. Like, like at first, like the light shudders and she sees Dinah getting her throat slashes and, and almost reacts and then stops herself at the last minute. Um, but then Dinah did actually get her throat slashed, I think, and she's only saved because Victoria rushes to her with Chris's coagulant. I. I I think. Well, I think you're, I think it's cut, but not down to the artery. So yeah, she's I mean, bleeding. But right, yeah. right. Like he starts like because they, they basically react at the same time. Right. Like like the lights turn off there. They flicker and she sees Dinah's wide, Dinah's eyes go wide and then her force field lunges and Zugzwain cuts Dinah's throat at the same time. Um, and the fragile one grabs him by the throat and takes his head off at the same moment that Zugzwain was cutting Dinah's throat. So it does not get to her artery and she but she's still going to be bleeding a lot. But the coagulant saves that. Yeah, um, true, true. Or does it? Or does it? I don't know. 
don't know. Yeah, right. I mean, Does she that's have the, coagulant still? Didn't she use that on herself? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that, that's that's the thing is like we could very well do this episode and then like we read the new chapter and it's like Victoria walked into the room with with the Mathers Giant and Victoria. Master Stranger Protocol, she shouted. <laughs> So, so the, the whole thing over again. Is the whole thing over again. Yeah. Or, nice. or, or yeah. Right. Who knows? I mean, that, that that's the level. That's that's the level of head fuckery that we're at with these characters. So. Sure. 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 Yeah. Um. It's so fun. it's fun though. Like I like it. Like right. Like I, I do. No, I, I'm not. I'm not like yeah. And I'm so disoriented. I'm like no. This is awesome because like you're you're reading in this like paranoid fashion, which is the way the character is, which I think mm-hmm. is exactly the way to do this kind of thing. Yeah you're, yeah, you're trying to make the reader feel the way that the character feels. And I think it's very effective here. It is. It is. Yeah. So like we talked about earlier, Sveta stops her to have this hard conversation, points out how on edge she is. And Victoria, you know, admits she's like, yeah, I mean, I feel like this is like the one chance that we have, the one thin chance that we have to turn things around. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love this whole conversation and I feel for Victoria, like the desperation in her voice. It's so powerful. But like Sveta my girl is like trying to be a champ here and like i just love like we're in the midst of this crazy ass battle right like we don't know what to believe and sveta's words here are hey uh victoria can i get uh can i get 30 seconds of your time please uh-huh yeah <laughs> it's like we're friends i've backed you up please please just uh just 30 seconds of your time please uh, yeah um and then of course she goes like right for the jugular like i don't want to keep silent when i should speak up not again and she compl- she compares this situation to the situation with the irregulars multiple times which i think makes sense because we talked a couple weeks ago how we think probably that is on sveta's mind a lot as she walks through the halls of this place fighting people as part of an invasion force um so it kind of makes sense that th- this is part of what the seamark is doing to her i think is ma- is channeling her back to this feeling that she had when she was there so the fact that she's referencing it multiple times makes sense mm-hmm. um but uh, first off you're bleeding again and victoria just like sarcastically grabs some coagulant mud and slaps it on her shoulder and it's like better yeah <laughs> no no victoria yeah <laughs> like, it's, i mean like imagine what she looks like right now right like just imagine it She's got a wound, a cut on her head. She's got a broken collarbone. She's bleeding out of that neck wound that was bleeding profusely before. Maybe it's slowed down a little bit because the blood's coagulated a little bit. Um, one of her legs is t- entirely wrapped in like, like tape, or maybe not tape, but it's wrapped up because her leg turned into a giant mutant leg and then shrunk down and it ripped her one whole leg of her costume up. So she wrapped it up to protect it from the cold. Um, she's covered in blood. And she's got to have like the craziest fucking look in her eye. Like, yeah. I, I can't imagine what it looks like to look at Victoria right now. <laughs> yeah, I don't have much to add to that. Um, I, I would be uh, at least as poorly off as she if I were in the situation, mm-hmm. like just just mentally, just, just from just like imagine what it would be like to be in the situation. It's oh so. God, yeah. The, uh, yeah, it's good. It drives you crazy. It's so yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we do learn in this moment. This, this is when Sveta tells her. And again, this could be part of the illusion, Matt. We have to preface everything we say with that. Uh-huh. But, but Sveta says she says, I think the Mather's Giant is making me think my collarbone is broken and I'm burned. And Sveta's like, no, no, those are those are real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To which we have Hooray. to respond. Maybe you're hallucinating Sveta entirely. But yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Um, I mean, we do learn here in this very scene that, that Mather's giant only has to, to get line of sight with you to, or no, you, you only have to look at her rather mm-hmm. to get full five senses control. Um, which, I mean, that's what I was assuming actually, because of some of the things that have happened, especially with like hearing, uh, people yelling. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think you know me well enough to predict that I would say that for all we know that this whole conversation is a hallucination. So can, can I say for the first time with certainty or with the semblance of certainty, uh-huh. I don't think this whole conversation is a hallucination. I think everywhere Victoria goes and for the most part, everyone Victoria sees she's seeing. Um, I do think there are moments within this whole thing that are different, look different, um, sound different maybe smell a little bit different. Uh-huh. Um, I, I do think that's true, but I think generally like as she orients herself in the space, she is seeing people that are in those areas for real um, generally. Um, and and here's the thing. I think you're right. And that's bad. And here's why. <laughs> okay. The, the, the fact that this, the fact that the Mather's giant and the Seamer are making her see things that are almost right, but not quite right absolutely means that it is tricking her into attacking people she shouldn't be attacking sure yeah otherwise if it just wanted to to get her out of the picture if it just wanted to disable her then it would do what it did to rain sure it would just zonk her out but it wants her functional it wants her flying around smashing people and, and killing them which is what she's been doing yeah like like there's there's no reality where it it lets her fly around successfully defeating its uh its pawns and then get away. Like it could have stopped her at any moment. Therefore, it wants her to be doing all this stuff. Therefore, it is bad. It's God bad. damn it, Matt. <laughs> You're right. You're totally right. I yeah. hate it. I hate it. I know. Um, well, you, thing- you were the one who said it, Scott. You're right. Ha <laughs> wow. yeah, anyway. ha. Yeah, you really turned that around on me. Um, <laughs> the thing that I like about the reveal that, hey, Mather's super powered, Mather's giant only needs you to look at her to fuck all five of your senses is. Like, even though we weren't told that, Victoria basically already came to that conclusion already, right? Like, so. she was trying to convince herself that the wounds were not inflicted by, were not really inflicted, but were just an illusion. But in order for that to work, the Mather's Giant would have gotten, needed to get all five of her senses, right? Like, yeah. she's saying, ow, my collarbone hurts. But wait, right. how does that work <laughs> if that's the Mather's Giant? Like, right. I would have had to touch her, right? Um and so she already kind of came to that conclusion on her own just through the process of convincing herself that these wounds must be not actually inflicted, but a part of part of the illusion. Yeah. Which is, which is fun. Right. I mean, it's like, yeah, like she backed into it through her trying to push herself forward. Yeah, that, I, I like that. Um, I like I like the logic kind of the, the background logic games and, and the complexity that goes into all this. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's one of the more fun things for me about the story. It's how well thought out everything is. So, um, they ultimately use Chekhov's flash gun to reset Rain's brain. Uh, and then Vicky holds on to said flash gun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is, I think a way wild bow kind of telegraphs that this part of the conversation happened, right? Like early in the next chapter, we see she's still holding on to that gun. And so we can at least say, okay, she was there. Lookout was there. She got the gun from Lookout. She used it and then kept it. So we can at least say that part probably happened. Yeah. Um, the way we saw it. 
right? And just in case it's slipping under the radar, I'm calling it Chekhov's flash gun because I think there's got to be some reason why she's holding on to it. Like she's going to use it again at some point. No, it's just for funsies. Um, I I do like we didn't talk about what the Mathers giant did to rain. Um, We just mentioned it briefly. Right. But it really fucked him up. Um, Yeah. All all senses completely blocked out. He can't see or hear or feel anything. But Which is weird, right? Because like this isn't Christine Mathers, right? So, so why would it go after him with you know extreme prejudice and let other people like like I think maybe like okay this just occurred to me, but maybe it's because he's he's like the one person who would instantly get what was going on mm-hmm. and be like I've been dealing with her shit forever. I I and I. I'm not going to play into her hand. And so it's like, well, I can't use him as a tool. So I'm just going to d- move him off the playing board. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, this is, yeah. Like, I think the, the original reaction is like, wow, this, this Mathers clone seems to be really vindictive towards rain. That doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And then you step back from it and go, wait a minute. It has less to do with the giant and more to do with rain and what would be most effective to take to hurt rain or prevent him from helping or, or moving him into the position the seamer wants him in. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think you're hundred percent right there that he has experienced this more than anyone here just about. Um, and so we can't toy with him as much. Yeah. Um, and and if, if he was here just to be like, watch out everyone, she's going to try this kind of thing on you. Right, like, right. That would be, that would uh, impede, impede her plan. So, yeah. Yeah. So we just dock him out. It's, yeah. cr- it's cruel and terrible. Um, ugh, poor guy. Yeah, I know. It's okay. He got uh, blinded with a g- <laughs> giant flesh. He'll be fine. He'll be fine <laughs> poor, in five poor, minutes. Yet again, poor rain. I know. Um, yeah. Oh my god. So they, I mean, they use Gru's darkness, which is a great kind of like yes, that is the power you would want here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Against Mather's line of sight based power, and um, so they're kind of like moving around under under cover of the darkness. Victoria is struck out of the air and injured and finds herself looking down through this hole in the ground at Amy, who is far below her um, oh, in just exactly the right spot. And she drops a piece of rubble on Amy and then flies away. And then we jump back to the moment when she was hit and we see her make a different choice, leaving Amy behind. And in both cases, this big chunk of text is exactly the same, except for this one sentence giving her her choice. Yeah. Uh, oh my God, Matt! This yeah. is so this is so good. Let's read. Let's read what the text says. Here. Okay, I think this is important. Seven floors down, below the hole, my sister was standing back while people tended to wounded. It looked like someone had been plunged through the floor by telekinesis or some massive attack. She did nothing. There was a piece of rubble to my left. I felt strong. I felt okay. I have control. Only one thing holds me back: poisons me. If she joined, we might have been able to win this. I leaned on the rubble to get a standing position, knowing what I was doing. The rubble fell. Um, and that's the one where she kills her. And then the other is just, I, I left her behind. Um, mm-hmm. And I I think this is, like, wonderful. And it, like, the thing that I love about it is just the order it happens in, right? Like, choosing to make the one where she kills Amy the first one was great. Mm-hmm. Because... Part of you is like, no, 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 no. And part of you is like, yeah, I I believe that I believe that Victoria, this discombobulated might make that choice. Um, And uh, like, I love that she she doesn't pick up the rubble. 
it, it she doesn't place it she doesn't drop it i leaned on the rubble to get a standing position knowing what i was doing i leaned on it to push it a little bit in the hole knowing where it would fall um ugh, ugh. Yeah. Oh my God, it's so good. And then we go through the whole thing again. And then there's the realization of, oh my God, that first one must have been an illusion, right? That's what you want to be because you end on the one that where Amy doesn't die. You're cut in the back of your head. You're like, well, then the first one must have been fake. If there's two and we end on this one, then this must have been the real one. But was it? <laughs> yeah, right. We, we can't be sure. Um, it's really interesting because this is not like a classic mama mathers type thing because it's like this is clearly some something deeper yeah because this this has the scenery written all over it exactly because the text repeats that that entire thing you just read repeats up until the point of i leaned on the rubble knowing what i was doing i I Mm -hmm. think right yeah and and uh except in the other case it just says something like um i turned and flew away into the darkness leaving her behind and What's interesting is that like sentences like like the, the part where it says, I feel strong. I feel OK. I have control. Only one thing holds me back, poisons me. If she joined, we might have been able to win this. That reads as it, it could be the prelude for either action, right? It could be the prelude for like she is the one thing that holds me back and poisons me. Yeah. Or it could or or it could be saying this this uh, sort of like uh, rat's nest of emotion I have regarding her holds me back and poisons me and her choice to fly away and leave it, leave it behind is the, is the redemptive choice. And it's like the two sides of, of the coin. And we don't know which one actually happened and neither does she, because in a certain sense, she made both choices. She did. She She doesn't know which is real. Yeah. And the interesting thing about it is like from an in world perspective, like Victoria just replayed the same scene two times, like like from from a, a metatextual perspective, like seeing a scene multiple times is like something that like we can deal with because we know we're reading a book. Yeah. But like she flew into the darkness, got hit by something, landed by the hole, saw this thing and made the choice, then flew away and then into the darkness again and then got hit and landed by the hole. And and the scene repeats entirely over again. Mm. But there's no break of consciousness for Victoria, right? Yeah. Like she's still like it's not like it's not like it was a time jump and she forgot the first one or anything. Right. Like right. she does both of them at the same she does both of them. Yeah. And and thinks the same thing both times. Yeah. Or and she I, perceives doing both of them or right, something. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. Um and it's fascinating. It is fascinating because I don't know. I, I want to believe that Victoria wouldn't do this, of course, um, because I don't think killing Amy is going to make anything better for her. In fact, I think if if she did choose to drop rubble on her, that will be a thing that will end up destroying herself because that's just who Victoria is. Um, she would not actually do well with that choice. But yeah. I don't know. I don't know. And I think that's what's fascinating is she she did make the choice, mm-hmm. like regardless of whether it really happened, she did make the choice. That is the headspace she's in right now. Right, right. She just, I mean, e- even if Amy turns out to be alive, if you sh- if if you shoot if you shoot someone, and turns out that the gun was empty, <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't exonerate you, does it? Right, you know that, that that's that's sure, the head, sure. that's the situation. I mean, here. It, do- it does, but in, in well your, legally, in, yes, but in your own internal processing of the event 
yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. That I am the one that made that choice. Like, like Mama Mathers and the Seamurg presented this situation to me um, that I believed was real. And I made that choice. Um, and it's just like knowing what I was doing, right? Like she can't even lie to herself. I leaned on the rubble to get a standing position, knowing what I was doing. It's just, ugh, uh, it yeah. breaks my heart. And I don't yeah. even know if it happened, but you're right. You're right. That's and that is the cool thing about this whole trickery. That is the cool thing about what Wildbo does here. There's, there's moments in, in literature and in television and in movies that do this fake out stuff. And the thing that I end up hating about it is the fake out doesn't end up mattering because it's just like, ah, just kidding. That episode didn't happen or just kidding. Everything goes back to normal. Um, there's a Buffy episode that does this. And actually, I love that episode. It's great. But for all of our main characters, they don't remember the experience in the alternate world or whatever. Um, so it doesn't change them fundamentally. Because they don't, it's it's nothing. Um, there's an episode of Umbrella Academy that does this as well that I, I did not like it there. But here, regardless of whether it happened or not, it's in her brain, and that means it it has it matters. It matters. It doesn't like it doesn't matter that it didn't happen because it matters to the characters. Yeah, exactly. I think that's that, that's the thing is we'll find out one way or another whether Amy's actually dead or alive. But Victoria will still have to live with having made the choice that she made. Yeah. And so. also having not made the choice. Exactly. The, the, the wonderful part of it. Yeah. 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 I think we should say that there is a moment here where she's like trying her best to not look towards the Mathers giant. And she sees chastity and Cassidy slept slumped against the wall, holding hands, eyes open. Um, and this is just like, like the funny thing is at this point I had basically convinced myself that none of this was real because uh-huh. <laughs> I, I didn't want it to be really badly, but it kind of breaks you down eventually. Like even if, even if in the, you're like chanting to yourself, not real, not real, not real. Just like seeing these two women dead holding hands. Um, like it, it, it broke me uh-huh. even with my coping mechanism of don't worry, it's not real. They're not really dead. And I think that's like part of what, part of what the Seamurg is doing here because like Victoria starts this fight yelling master stranger. She knows that some of the stuff isn't real, but eventually you're pummeled by so many fake images that it just doesn't work to say, don't worry, it's not real yeah. anymore. Right. And, um, I mean, as much as you, as much as you want to be like, oh yeah, of course Em's not dead. That wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, a big part of you is like, yeah, but she might be. And, yeah. and that's, and, and like you said, you're accumulating a list of those. Yeah, but that might be real, like, mm-hmm. like thoughts. Mm-hmm. And then eventually you get overwhelmed by them, I think. Yep. 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 And, and again, this is, the text accomplishing in the reader exactly what it is accomplishing in the character. And I think that it like, there's a reason Wildbo continues to write in first person perspective for their protagonists. Right. And it is so we can get in these close to the protagonist headspaces. Like I do not think this would have been as powerful and effective if it was in third person. I just don't. Um, Mm. and it's great. Yeah. I like that. I think you're right. So Victoria finally reaches Mathers and gives the injection. Uh, the syringe auto injects uh, explosively when it's stabbed in, and uh, now the the illusion drops, and we see that many of the victims lying around are, are now absent; that they were never really there. The Seamurg isn't even really here; she was uh, she, she's already gone. Yeah, Tattletail ta- is like is like we're too late; she's already moved on. Game over. <laughs> yep, yep. And then Dinah's like, no, and then Vicky like looks at the syringe and is like, wait a second, and then she stabs <laughs> the syringe into the Mathers giant. 
and manually pre- presses the plunger down, even though it already appears to be empty. Yeah. Um, and then oh it actually God. works. It's oh my God. So good. Yeah. It's, it's so good. Like not only does Dinah say no, but she's like holding her head. Right. So, which is like a, she's using her power thing. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like, it's like someone asked her a question, yeah. but they didn't technically, but they, I guess they technically did enough to where she gets to answer it. Right. Well, well she can ask her own questions. That's it's just, true. she's sort of that's trained true. herself not to, I think. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's she's true. probably just like, I see imminent death for everyone here. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at like the way this is written though, the thin Mathers giant turned to look at me eyes wide and vacant. I went blind deaf my skin sloughed off multiple multiplied liquefied again i was an ocean as an ocean i flew this time i hit the plunger like she fully gets the experience of turning into goo Uh (laughs) and still still flies forward yeah so good it's such a short short little piece of text with really sticks with you i was an ocean yeah. and as an ocean i flew oh my god that was powerful that w- i mean it's like it's horrifying like imagine yeah. what that feels like especially for a person like victoria imagine what that feels like and and like we said like you can you can maybe even know it's fake at this point she does yeah but it still feels real ugh. yeah ugh. love it i know it's great and then we end this chapter with i think just this great hook of still on schedule last chance go (laughs) it's so good it's so good yeah i was i I was amped i was too like it is this very like it's not a cliffhanger per se but it is like a a, like it just it just drives up excitement for the next chapter it's a fuck yeah moment yeah um all right and then 20.6 we move on into it uh and victoria is opening up with i had no idea what was real anymore i couldn't trust anything yeah same same vicky (laughs) same yeah I think generally, though, well, it's confusing, right? Because the Mathers giant is gone. So she is not being tricked via her senses anymore. But there's still Seamer fuckiness going on. Um, And so there still has to be some level of doubt about how things are happening. Yeah. Um, I I think, yeah, I mean, on on top of that, I just I think she has I don't want to say she's lost her mind because that's a bit overstating it. But she's losing her mind. She's losing her mind. Her her yeah. conception of reality and consequence has broken down. She I don't remember the exact text, but she she says something at some point in here about like I had lost the sense that this was a place where like A leads to B leads to C. Yeah, and yeah. just like causality itself is breaking down for her. That's uh, that's how bad she is. Yeah, it's bad. Um, it's real bad. Yeah. So I I like this bit toward the beginning where she gives this fairly convincing little explanation that like if in if inbringers didn't actually need to recover from damage then they wouldn't have bothered staggering their attacks while fighting scion because that was kind of an all or nothing uh, situation that's fair i guess that's a convincing really clarification on on inbringers i mean and it's like the linchpin that she's holding on to here right like at at first it was well, well we'll chase her away we'll beat her enough to chase her away and and I think you and I were like, well, that's not how Embringers work, right? Like, I think yeah. you specifically said um, that no, they they stay till they accomplish their objective. Yeah. It's just their objective is normally just fuck with people for a while. Yeah, but here here right. she has an objective. They've never fought seriously except against Scion, I suppose. Yeah, 
And and I and I mean, if I wanted to counter argue, which I don't particularly, but if I wanted to, like I w- gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna, I would say that I, I would think that Scion's attacks were like qualitatively different from anything that normal people can do because he has this like golden light power, which is fair, which is bullshit. It's a bullshit power. And it's in, it's <laughs> like 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 within the story, it's like, yeah, well, he kept this power for himself because it's a whatever power. It can sure. it can dissolve anything. Um, but uh I don't know. We can just take it at face value for now until we until we see otherwise, I guess. I mean, like we've said many times throughout this book, when it comes to cape nerdy shit, I just uh, I just believe Victoria. Just also. She has her intuition, right? Yeah, there you go. There you go. Once again, which is sort of the metatextual manifestation of her nerdiness. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Perfect. So um, so as Victoria continues to fight we see how this fight has just worn her down. Mm-hmm. Like even in the last chapter and chapter and a half, I guess uh, it seems like she's just reaching a lot of points of like, like new, new lows uh, in terms of her level of fear. Like she's got, she got, you know, bleeding cut on her forehead, broken collarbone, burn two cuts on her neck costumes, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then internally <laughs> though, blah, blah, blah. she's, um, she's thinking like panicked thoughts Mm-hmm. The, of a kind that we haven't really seen from her. I mean, she's had her low moments in, in, in battles before. She's cer- certainly anything that reminds her of her, um, you know, of, of her being melted by crawler causes some bad thoughts in her. But like the, the level of like darkness and hopelessness is really sort of unprecedented, especially relative to how little um, sort of internal pep talk she's able to give herself. And, and obviously yeah. the, the Seamurg is playing into this, creating situations where, you know, she's hurt, you know, Victoria's hurting people while trying to help them and getting this deluge of guilt and uncertainty. And she, she describes the whole thing as chaos and madness. Yeah. And yeah, it's really painful. Yeah. It, it's hard to believe that just a few chapters ago, she listed herself as an eight an eight. Yeah. Think of right. back in the glory days of still being an eight. Yeah. I, I do think this is the brilliance of what the Seamurg and thus what Wildbow is doing here. Right? Like we, we talked about how this sense of confidence was maybe a ploy to make her behave in certain ways to make her use her aura more readily and then maybe push Chris towards something. And I could still maybe be that, maybe not. But I think what it undoubtedly did was raise Victoria up a little higher and then uh, cancel her flying power so that her fall hurts that much more. Like she gets this sense of confidence that she's got it. Like she's beating the Seamurg at her own game. She like, she's got this acceptance and this love that is providing her with the power to, to not fall for the old tricks and she's just been worn down. She just, it, this is just wearing her down. And it's such a even even more painful fall as she's descending into into this chaos and madness. Um, and, and like, look, these last few weeks, I've talked about the concept of being tested. And again, I think that is precisely what's happening here. This is a book that largely deals with the concept of recovery and now specifically more more spe- like acceptance. Rain, Tristan, Byron, Ashley, Kenzie, Sveta, Victoria, all these characters have been struggling with these ideas throughout the book. All of them have made progress. All of them have taken strides. I think none so acutely as Victoria's wonderful moment of love and acceptance back a few chapters ago. But the Seamurg here... You could call her the empress of backsliding because she has the ability to push the buttons and poke the holes of every single one of our characters. We've seen it with Byron, with with Rain, with Victoria, of course. This chapter really focuses on Sveta and and, and Sveta, I think we see her kind of collapse um, 
in, in a way that seems Seamer designed a little bit. Um, and then, of course, we've got Chris. Chris, who is going to have to wait another week, Matt, <laughs> to, find yeah. out, to find out what's going on with Chris. But I guess what I mean here is just this is just how the Seamark operates. And the fact that Victoria was so successful at the beginning just makes this hurt all the more, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and she's just the perfect, she's the perfect final villain here. Yeah. Right. Like thematically yeah. she, she is absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I like, I like all that. Yeah. I like the idea of Empress of backsliding. Like that's her, uh, thematic purpose, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's like she, she's, um, I'm, I'm trying to, to make some sort of connection to like, she doesn't let you let go of your past basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of her, her whole shtick. I mean, we saw that in detail with the travelers for sure, where, um, took all of their issues, all of their sort of latent issues that probably would have been fine if they had just like gone on with their lives and separated and grown up and become different people. But she just yeah. was like, nope, I'm going to drag you down into this muck. That's her whole yeah. MO. Well, and I wonder like the concept of coping mechanisms. We've talked about this a lot through the book, right? These things that you do that allow you to get through the day. And those are effective things that are sometimes necessary, but it's not really recovery. And I think the Seamurg has the ability to just fucking wipe those coping mechanisms out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we're going to see here is whether the acceptance and the love that Victoria has reached is enough to overcome this stuff that I, th- I think we can undoubtedly say that the Victoria from arc one of this book would have been read against the Seamurg like right away. Like she would not, she would not have been able to resist at all, like at all. Um, it would have wiped her out immediately. Um, and so we're seeing a person that is, has, has been able to survive for longer. Um, and that is because of the progress she's made. And will that be enough? I don't know. I don't know. I like that idea for, for a second in my mind, I was like questioning whether I believe that. And then I was like, well, she was basically brought to like a stalemate just by snags power, yeah, which is vastly weaker than what she's up against here. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, so Victoria saves Dinah from being hit by a piece of pipe, and Tattletail tells Dinah to run around like a chicken with her head cut off for a little <laughs> while, uh, because the Seamer can't see her, and so Dinah can just kind of inject some randomness into the fight. Yeah, I, I love this metaphor, <laughs> as 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 t- er, yeah. Tattletail describes it, and and I love like it's perfect that Victoria just doesn't have the patience for Lisa's shit right now <laughs> um, and can't think beyond the literal here and now to be like, think about things metaphorically. I love it though. It's like, it's like when you outsmart a computer by making random moves, you know, like you're playing a, a really smart, I forgot what movie that was in where like he's playing chess against someone and he just starts making random ass moves that just confuse the AI because it just doesn't know how to deal with that. Um, it's kind of like that, right? You, you can't predict what is unpredictable. You just can't, yeah. you just can't do it. Right. At least it gives him a chance. Um, mm-hmm. Even throughout all this, though, it, it's it's Tattletail is sure to be like, no, no, this isn't like a good plan. Yeah, <laughs> it's no, just our only hope. Right. Right. It's just like the bare minimum of what we can do. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I do want to talk about this moment where Vic- Victoria saves Dinah, though, because like we see this mo- like she she's trying to reach for the thing that's heading towards her. And she doesn't even know it's Dinah yet, but she's trying to reach and reach. I communicated, prayed, pled the fragile one reached out using the form with the widest breath that me from a period, the me from a period that was trying to move a ruined mess, mess of a body, one that could occupy a whole couch. The force field slammed into my back and the back of my head hard and the hand caught the pipe out of the air. 
So this was actually in the last chapter too, but, but this idea that like the aura in order to change the shape of the wretch, she has to mine her memories for examples. Like she's basically communicating with fragile one via memories, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, here's what I want you to change into. Let me grab the memory to show you. Um, and, and we've seen this before and it, but it's like, like we're talking about not coping, not just surviving. Isn't this like the perfect manifestation of that? It's literally learning from your trauma. Like mm -hmm. she goes back to a traumatic moment and uses that moment to uses that moment of trauma and, and what she learned from it to change herself physically <laughs> Yeah. To to save someone, to stop something bad from happening. She, um, yeah. Turns I, it I into her it. own power. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Um, I, I love that so much. And and we also like just as a kind of aside, I love this is like the second time Wildbow has used the fragile one reached out, which I mean, we've talked so much about the concept of reaching out and how that is a very loaded phrase when it comes to Victoria um, going back to her old mantra of, of reaching out being the last Thing you could do and i don't know like i don't even know if it's intentional here it's just very much like just summoning that imagery for me of of this is a thing that was so important to victoria the concept of reaching out and now she's literally doing it here to save the day yeah it's it's absolutely beautiful i hadn't really put together this idea that the way she's using her newfound powers is by sort of like how we know that that the shards almost think in terms of these memories. Yeah. And yeah. so she's leveraging that. She's like showing it like this, 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 this. And it and it obliges her. Mm -hmm. um, I almost wonder if that's like not the the sort of trick, the sort of w w the this one weird trick to uh, to get more leverage out of your power is to like give it memories indicating this is the exact thing that I want from you right now. Yeah. I mean, it, it is like. Is it true that the the one Titan whose name that was fighting the machine army co communicated the same way via memory? I can't remember. Uh, I mean, I feel like they're all. Yeah. Augur. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's true. Mm -hmm. I think that that it was actually. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think this is going to like we've learned through Shard World that memories. This is that the shard stored memories as data and and that i think you're absolutely right that communication via memory is going to be key because that i mean that is also what rain does right when rain sends out the word uh, acceptance he doesn't send out the word acceptance he taps into hundreds and thousands of memories all related to the word acceptance and and that and sends it to to fortuna so that is how you reach shards that is how you communicate and that is what she's doing when she's having it it modify her aura that is what she's doing when she's having it modify the wretch um that that is what she's doing and and i think i think you're right i think that is going to be key to things because that's like that's the the reveal of the book is kind of that's the way to communicate mm -hmm. yeah i think so um just uh so important because imp is still interjecting things at this point uh, which i just naively assumed meant that she isn't actually dead uh, but then people on discord were like uh no no this could be a hallucination actually no see the only way this could be a hallucination is if like everything else is a hallucination because that would imply that they didn't actually get the mather's giant yet so yeah i mean i think that the reasoning behind it was that like imp says things and people don't respond to her Mm -hmm. And and my response to that is like, what what else is new? Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what imp quips and no and everyone ignores her. That's just like what happens. I mean, to me, like as much as I love a good chocolate theory, like love them. Um, 
I'm not sure what at this point, like imp secretly being dead and this just being a Seamurg fuckery. Like what, what would the, the point right. of that be? Like, yeah, I, I think like looking at this, looking at this doylistically, I think this is just the book saying, don't worry guys. Imp is not dead. Right. I, I, I really don't think the Seamurg would be like, you know what this scene needs is a little comic <laughs> relief. Right. 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 So, um, cause yeah, it doesn't seem to be doing anything functionally. Uh, so I, I really, yeah, I just think this is, um, just some some lines thrown in to establish that yes imp is still here yes imp is alive yes imp dying was an illusion um, yeah in my opinion yeah so that makes you wonder what like all the whole roman situation so roman is like saying please help her she needs help and victoria goes over there feels her she's cold She's not breathing, like tries to remove her mask and like a piece of her skull comes off with it or something just fucking awful. Um, So what part of that was the illusion? Was the whole Roman situation the illusion or was just the no, she's still alive part? Like, like, I don't know. I don't know. I I think she was. uh, So my my thought was she was actually with Roman and then got tossed away and used her power or, or maybe her power turned on because it's on by default. And then the Seamer decided to make it seem like she was still there and dead. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my assumption. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, so um, it kind of seems like Gru doesn't have his second trigger powers here. Yeah, yeah. And and honestly, I wondered about this during his interlude, and I just didn't I didn't have enough to grab onto to bring it up. But we see him use his power a lot in his interlude, but we never see him borrow powers in his interlude. Like specifically, there's that whole moment where he wants Darlene to stay connected to Kenzie. Uh, so like, like he's not alone. And I was like, well, can't, couldn't you just have borrowed that power and, and stayed and, and connected yourself to Kenzie to be able to read her a little bit? Like, you know, like, you know what I mean? Um, so like, I thought there were moments in his interlude where like borrowing someone else's powers in the group would have been beneficial towards him. And we didn't see him do it. So I was, yeah. I was like, that's kind of interesting. Um, but we see here. Yeah. It, it's, it's, he doesn't have those powers. Yeah, he doesn't even think of it as an option. So yeah, I, I, like it's complicated, needed to try something to try and shake the memories those new powers were attached to didn't work. Um, what is what do you think? I mean, that's an interesting wrinkle, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I took it fairly literally that he was that either he like he and or Valkyrie were like, we need to get rid of this trauma that's making you miserable and and tactically less effective Mm -hmm. um let's see if we if we get rid of the second trigger powers maybe we'll get rid of the second trigger trauma and he says that didn't work and and i'm I'm sort of thinking like Uh, well yeah i don't i didn't think it would because it's it's not just the powers it's deep it's part of his psyche at this point yeah i i was i was thinking didn't work in a different context but reading it the way you just said it yeah i get that so it, getting rid of the powers was an attempt to get rid of the memories but that didn't that that part didn't work yeah i get it i get it now yeah okay, yeah cool. no i think that's right yeah. yeah that makes a lot of sense uh so chevalier and narwhal uh finally seem to start doing some real damage against seamurg um at this point we see chevy talking to the guy with spider legs who is apparently a hero um <laughs> uh <dope. laughs> yep Oop, oops. Wh- whoopsie yeah, I wonder if like he's looking like we see he's injured, right? Um, yeah. And we don't know if the injuries that he sustained are were the ones that Vicky did to him or something else. Uh-huh. Like the text doesn't go in that. De- I mean, we can make some assumptions, but 
Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to guess. Yes. I mean, yeah. 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 Do you think like he's looking over at Victoria out of the corner of his eye and being like, uh, I, I, think, <laughs> I think there's going to be some conversations uh, if yeah. they survive this fight. Yes. I think you're right. But I, I do think like in the moment, this is just piling more on Victoria, the doubt, the uncertainty, the fear, the confusion. Like that is a moment where now she's like, fuck, I failed myself. I don't know. All those people I hurt did. Were all of them like this? I don't think she mentions Mukade specifically in this moment, but you know, it's in there. You right. know, it's in her head somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think there's going to be a reckoning with Mukade. Yeah. Or the, with the idea of what she did mm-hmm. for sure. Eventually uh, the main problem in this fight becomes this constant storm of telekinetic projectiles which are just kind of going every every which way um and like it's interesting because it's this intimidating show of power uh but like it also feels like the big video game boss uh power display that the boss engages in as the hit points are almost out you know what i mean yeah so like you're imagining this as like in teenage mutant ninja turtles 2 where like the boss starts glowing right show it's almost dead uh, yeah, and this is like their big, their big. Um, the next hit wins the battle, but I'm throwing up this big, complicated, like, uh, force field or 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 right. like pattern that you have to get through before you can land that final hit. Yeah, tri- tripled the number of projectiles in the in the bullet hell and uh, and move twice as fast. But yeah. if you get this last hit in, that's it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's probably some truth to that, like that she's close to finally having to to pull back and retreat. Like it's a show of power, but also it's it doesn't have the finesse of like very precise tapping of billiard balls to get the desired outcome. She's just like, ah, shit, I just got to throw up a lot of chaff now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and we'll see, like we got a lot of her dealing with like working in blind spots, right. Where like Dinah's presence here generally is causing a a lot of blind spots and she's just, and she's got a a bunch of, a, a bunch of billiard balls set up to be maximally effective here. But yeah, it's not it's not complex cause and effect chaining anymore. It's just it's just as much chaos as possible um, to increase chances of success. Yeah. 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 And and of course, what that is doing is causing everything to fucking collapse, like everything. Like I can't overemphasize how often this chapter focuses on Victoria just teetering on the edge. Her wounds are killing her. She's bleeding all over the place. And she's even admitting that she's losing her grip on shit. Like when Victoria starts admitting that she's losing her grip. She's losing her grip real bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and I love these moments where she's like desperately clinging to what the books tell her about fighting the Seamurg. Like she's she's falling back on scholar Victoria and and desperately clinging to this like, OK, they, they said you're going to feel like this. They said this. You're going to feel like you're losing. You're going to feel like you're one step behind. It's going to feel hopeless. You're going to do things that you you regret. You're going to you're going to feel disgusted in yourself. She's holding on to all this knowledge that she's gained from studying people fighting the Seamurg and it's not working. It's 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 like, yeah, I know that. But also I feel this way anyway. I, I the books can tell me this is going to feel hopeless, but fuck, man, it feels really hopeless um, and it's just not working anymore. Sure. And and it, it's just it's oh, it's so it's so rough. And and the thing that I love about what Wildbow is doing here is that you can like you can see through how other characters are treating her, like how fucking terrified they are for her and maybe even of her in these moments like i love how tattletale calls her hun and kiddo which are like she's used these words before it's not the first time she's done it especially to victoria but it it, it is like kid gloving her a bit vista calls her big v here um 
Byron like even asks her how she's doing after she cries out in pain. Uh, Rachel has like sent a dog to protect her. Like everything is falling apart. Everyone is falling apart, but like they're noticing that Victoria is falling apart too. Uh, wow. And it's really great. Yeah. I mean, thanks for pointing that out. Cause I hadn't really stitched all those moments together into, into what is happening here. It, it seems like people are going out of their way to, to, to react to how badly she's doing and take care of her. Um, I feel like that's going somewhere actually. Now that you've pointed it out. Yeah. Uh, that's really cool. I, before we move on, I wanted to talk about something with you that I don't think we've like stated outright. And I think needs to be stated outright. Victoria last week hatched from her force field cocoon and she employs her force field. And this is cool as shit, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's really cool, but it's her force field. Like mm-hmm. throughout this book, Victoria has thrown herself in front of danger to protect the people she loves constantly. It's what she's just continued to do. And she had a force field uh-huh. to take those hits and now she's throwing her force field in front of the people she cares about, but leaving herself behind. And and she's getting hurt a lot because right. she doesn't have a force field anymore because it's out there protecting other people. Like it is it is the full extension of Victoria's everyone else over me philosophy. Like she is leaving herself entirely vulnerable now um, and, and she's getting pummeled for it. Wow, that's really, really interesting. I'm reminded of the very first uh, arc where we have the, the text says, I, I threw out my force field to try to protect the other people on the mm-hmm. on the bus. Um, she doesn't literally do that. You know, she what will we mean is she what, what would she what she would later say is she unfurls it to be its maximum size to try to kind of catch the incoming vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, but like if she'd had this power, then she would have literally like sent her force field out to intercept it. Right. So yeah. I, I like that a lot. I wonder if we trace through like every injury she, she takes in, in this two and a half chapter frame, how many of those happen because her force field just went down versus how many of them happen because her force field was away from her. Um, yeah. That's... And I bet a lot of them are the latter. Yeah. I mean, I think when she gets hit by blood play, her force field's out and about, right? Um, that sounds right. Yeah. Not sure, but, but it's just like, it's like she's, she's switched how her force field works, but has not adjusted her fighting style. Yeah. (laughs) Like, and so she's just getting pummeled in ways that she's never gotten pummeled before. I mean, remember when people thought Victoria was invulnerable because she never got hit because they didn't understand how the force field worked. Yeah. And now, oh my God, like Jesus. Yeah, I mean, she she we we sort of said last week it's like she's traded in, in vulnerability for telekinesis, except she's forgotten that she no longer has invulnerability. Yeah, right, right. So, oh my gosh, yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. So Victoria does formulate a plan to go find Dinah and get some of that sweet sweet precog juice, <laughs> so that uh, Simmerg won't be able to predict her. She tells Chevy and the others to wait for her signal before they attack. Which they have a rough time with. <laughs> yeah, especially especially Chevy. Um, yeah. What do you mean? Just don't attack? Like, yeah. Look at my people. They're they're dying. Right. They're dying out there. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then she stumbles across Veta, who is rapidly losing control of her body, just really losing it. Um, her, her buttons are being pressed for sure. Yeah. She actually says, but if I keep reaching out and getting those reaching pieces of me sliced off or smashed, I think I'm going to break. And I'll be more of a danger to anyone here than blood play is. So, so she says that. Yeah. <laughs> and then shortly thereafter, 
she just, reaches out and gets smashed by Victoria. By Victoria. And, and, oh my god. Yeah. And this and this is also beat two of one of her teammates saying, "I'm a danger to others." Basically, yeah. Byron saying he was a. I think he said he was a two, mm-hmm. or maybe a three. Yeah. And then and then Sveta basically being like, "I will literally go ape shit and start killing people randomly if you, if I get pushed any harder." So. Yeah, and I think we have to recall the moment where Victoria th- mused on the fact that her connection and her control over her force field is connected to her state of mind, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we haven't actually seen, besides the moment we're about to see where she like squishes a, a Sveta tendril, we haven't actually seen that control slip in any way. Um, but we did have Victoria introduce that to us, and so I think that's in the back of our mind. Um, like so, like yeah, like these people are starting to collapse and they're becoming dangerous as they collapse. Victoria included. Yeah. Yeah. I love <laughs> Matt, this, this, this avoidance that Victoria practices here is just top notch. That collarbone of yours looks really fucking bad. Vic Sveta says, eyeing my chest. She's in there winging her lasers around, probably going to hit Dinah by chance. Yeah. That's just like completely dismisses the concern yeah. like doesn't even doesn't even deign a, it like a look or a response just completely moves on right. and got time to bleed no yeah um i mean it makes it's it's sort of badass and you love her for it but also you're like jesus this is so um par for the course isn't it <laughs> sure 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 yeah uh so uh here we go <laughs> i like um we just, just she just kind of tosses this in here um, she's thinking about like the implications of, of hurting people. And she thinks, which was insane when put together with the fact that I was planning on executing a massive number of people, many of them faces I knew many more were people who wouldn't accept it without complaint. Okay. <laughs> so she, the, the context of this is she's thinking about, she's honestly giving herself an assessment and being like, I am, I am bad. I can barely fight right now. Um, I, I'm not good. And, and this isn't even my last fight because I'm about to kill a bunch of people. And some of those people probably are going to not want me to do that and are going to try to fight me. Well, am I going to be even in in tip top shape to fight those people? And Matt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is like this is like beat seven of of genocide where right. you're just like, what? <laughs> it, it's so interesting how it's worded. In a way where I'm like, okay, Wildbo is intentionally sustaining this kind of ambiguity to it because you can yeah. read this as like she's talking about capes or she's talking about K-53s or she's talking about like, I don't know, people who are clones or she's talking about humans or 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 fucking uh, 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 Nilbog creations for all I know. Like, like. Like it's it's so it's consistently worded in this way where she refuses to actually name the group she's talking about and just sure. make it just make it so that you can. Ah, uh, yeah, I know. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, here's I mean, here's my my galaxy brain theory here. Go for to it. Try to try to make sense of this thing. Please do. I, I, I have zero confidence that this is true, but it's the only <laughs> thing I've been able to come up with. Um, I've noticed it, it feels to me that these recurring beats are just they just feel so deliberate, right? They just feel like she's choosing to think about these things in this moment. Like she's choosing in this moment to remind herself about this plan of hers that she's not thinking about very often otherwise. 
And and so my my brain has taken this and gone, okay, what could this be? What could this be? Because I refuse to accept that Victoria's legitimate plan is just going to be, I'm going to kill all these fools. I'm just going to mm-hmm. kill them all, and that's going to be the solution to my problem. And and hey, um, here we get okay. Not everyone's cool with it, but all these people, <laughs> all these people I know seem to be pretty cool with it if they if they're aware of it. So I I wonder if this is some like four dimensional chess like precog fake out shit. You know, like I am going to convince myself so much that this is my plan of action that this is what i'm gonna do and 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 pointedly remind myself of this in certain ways that it fucks with the precognition ability to um to predict what's going to happen on stuff if a pre if, if victoria convinces herself that this is her plan and a precog is trying to get a handle on what victoria is going to do and genuinely believes that this is her plan they're going to plan based off of that understanding of a plan you get what i mean i mean i i, I sort of do and there's aspects of it that i like and i think that it could be made to work but at the same time like the i i feel like the precog i feel, I feel like contessa particular wouldn't give a damn what sorts of mental tricks you did. I don't think that's how her power works, but, but maybe like we have all these other elements, like she's got this backdoor connection to her shard. Maybe she's like, maybe she's trying to convince her shard that this is the plan. Yeah. And then trusting her shard to like carry the message or something. That's kind of, that's kind of, yeah, I I agree that just like a person like saying, I'm going to kill everyone. I'm going to kill everyone. I'm going to kill everyone a hundred times is not going to trick like actual precog abilities. Right. But I, I do, I do wonder if the, like, I think, I do think that's where the shard comes into it. This, this special close connection with the shard comes right. into it. Um, and, and, and so I wonder if some shenanigans with that is able to trick things because like, I mean, I, I have, I have convinced myself that the things with Chris are going to go basically the way the Seamurg saw them. And I wonder if like the trick is, Oh, Chris is the key to this whole thing. So if we stop Chris, we're good. And then it's like, psych, that's he wasn't the key. <laughs> mm. So Chris can fly away. I mean, that would feel like a disappointing ending for Chris's arc. So look, this is why I said I have very little confidence in this whole thing. But I'm just desperately trying to come up with ways in which this makes sense to me. Sure. Um, and I think like the the randomly mentioning it every so often um, with like some emotional attachment to it, but not like a huge amount of like emotional attachment to, to it as a thing that I'm definitely going to do. Like even here, when she mentions it, she's, it's insane to think about the fact that I was planning on executing a massive number of people and I was going to have to fight some of them. It's insane to think about that with my body in the state it is. It's not insane or emotional to think about. I'm going to have to execute a whole shitload of people. Like that is not the emotional part she's thinking about she's thinking about the literal like act of having to do it and maybe having to resist people trying to stop her from doing it Mm -hmm. um which is like i would think she would have a more emotional attachment to it if this is what she's planning on actually doing but i don't know i I don't i don't know so i'm just trying to come up with ways in which this works in my head and yeah that's what i got right now i mean i think the core nugget of the idea that i like the most is that the reason she's thinking of this over and over to herself is to like convince her shard or convince waves hands something. Mm -hmm. 
um, because I, I just like that. I think that would be very interesting. So yeah, cool. 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 I like it. We will see. So Vicky and Sveta go searching throughout this area, the darkened area, uh, with Sveta eventually resorting to using her human squid form, which is sort of um, bad uh, because the next time we see her, she has completely lost her shit. Yeah. Um, uh, Victoria freaks freak herself out thinking about Amy. She actually calls her Panacea here. Yeah. And she accidentally crushes Sveta's tendril, which we mentioned a minute ago. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so yeah, it says when Sveta emerges from the darkness, she's just roiling death and she instantly kills blood play and uh v- vicky thinks i couldn't bring myself to speak seeing sveta lose all control oh it's heartbreaking isn't it i mean like yeah I, <sighs> vicky looks at sveta and sees a look of betrayal in her eyes uh, or on her face yeah when this happens and it just it just breaks your heart it's it's awful and the thing about it so what happens is victoria hears the word sister right before this happens mm-hmm. like another seamerg whisper right sister and mm-hmm. then that's when she gets grabbed so that's why she goes panacea and freaks out yeah so crushing sveta's tendril causing sveta to go all out sveta kills blood play um all part of the seamerg's plan <laughs> yep and and of course now sveta is a dangerous i mean i don't want to i don't want to say it but it's entirely possible that sveta is now red for all intents and purposes oh, like I know, like I know. like she's lost her her control and now she's this is you know old school death ball sveta yeah there's this moment when she like goes full like like completely unfolds her human form that her her clothes and armor fall off her yeah um and it's just like like reading back the chapter after i finished knowing where sveta ends this chapter on that felt like a really key moment yeah. And and she hadn't lost all control at that point. She was teetering. She chooses to go full, uh, like fully unfolding her tendrils to do basically the capture the flag thing where she's just going to reach out looking for Dinah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, the way the text emphasizes that her clothing and armor falls off and that's almost like literal dehumanization, right? Like the clothes, the, the, it is, it is her abandoning, the parts that ha- that made her have a body that like, yeah. like the clothes are just drop are just falling off and going away. And that's like Sveta as we knew her throughout so much of this book is gone now. And ugh, yeah. Oh my I, God. I, um, I didn't even know she could do that anymore. I didn't either. Yeah. Like, and, and that's the degree to which she has refrained from unfolding that much like she'll she'll use like an arm basically but her, her her arms and i actually kind of thought that like maybe her torso was like a solid a solid mass now and it's like no she she can still go full um death ball form and she just hasn't been because it upsets her too much and it reminds her of her worst yeah. her, her worst times and this is such this is so much more actualizing for her to to use it the way she's been using it and then to see her Need, feel that she needs to do it and then apparently just loses control when she does it it's horrible yeah 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 and it's victoria's fault quote unquote um, yeah right yeah she, she'll feel responsible for it at least yeah yeah and then the chapter ends with uh victoria asking dinah the question which is kick her ass or kick her ass more <laughs> this is this is triumphant um but I'm sad about it. Yeah. Like, 
like there's definitely this moment where like so they succeed they get Dinah back they go to confront uh the seamerg and they've got Dinah has one more use of her power and she's like ask me a question what question any question what should i what should i do kick her ass or kick her ass more and Dinah's response is just kicking her ass will be enough and so they ride into this final battle with the seamerg knowing that she can't she's just gonna have to be random and not use her cool cause effect stuff Mm -hmm. um and, and that is a moment of triumph but like with Sveta there, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I just I, I, I want to feel happy and triumphant about it, but I'm just devastated about Sveta, who's sure. just like just lost control and casually killed blood play. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, like, it's just I, I want to be excited. I, and I am a part of me is like very like is very like, fuck, yeah, let's take this take this jerk down. And then the other part of me is like. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, let, let's just for a minute say like, uh, I think I think Kinsey is actually in a pretty good spot right now. I think rain rain is just rain. But like Byron found this great kind of peace with his brother. And now his brother has been recently killed and he's just at this incredibly low point. Um, um, Sveta, she got her body. She she kind of thought things were going to be okay. She kind of found herself, and now that's all been taken away from her, and she's losing it, and she's going to do things that she regrets or she she may already have. Mm-hmm. And Victoria found this great moment of of like acceptance and beautiful self love, and now like that sort of being twisted in a way where I don't know if she's going to walk away from this situation feeling that those those positive feelings anymore. And yeah. it's a really you know dark sad twist. Um, to 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 put us through and i'm just right. really wondering where things are going to go from here yeah well this is i mean this is climax right this is the final challenge to overcome mm-hmm. and the question will be whether our characters can do it um true i am not ready to toss in the towel like sveta had this moment i'm not ready to give up on her yet and i i hope i certainly hope she's not yeah. going to give up but um this is this is it this is what we've been building toward this is what we've been working towards and um this is the biggest the big like we said the biggest text the the empress mm-hmm. of backsliding like she is here to force you into these exact situations and the test is whether you can get come out the other side of them yeah whether you can retain the acceptance and self-love that you found even after you backslide yeah and um feel maybe that you don't deserve to anymore yep um yeah i don't know i'm 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 into this in every possible dimension that I could be into it. <laughs> and, uh, and that wraps up the chapter for this, uh, this week. Yep. The discussion question last week was what is the, your favorite time that Wildo asked you to read between the words? We begin with nugget blaster 69. who says, I'm not sure how much this counts. Um, but I think of tattletale quote unquote tattletale yelling at Taylor for cursing while in the miasma without Wildo having to write the words explaining that it was actually bone saw. Uh, we all got the point. Yeah. yeah, we did. Even though some of us, <laughs> me, were a, a little slow on the uptake. Yeah, that was like the only thing you didn't get. <laughs> um, up next, we have Seething, who says, Accord. I fell for his POV bias so hard, I left the chapter feeling like, Aw, damn, this poor guy <laughs> just wants to save the world, and they won't let him. And then I thought about how he wanted to kill Sundancer for interrupting and Citrine for forgetting to call him sir. And I started thinking about why his idea of a perfect world, what his idea of a perfect world would actually look like and how that world would be a very scary place to live in. Yeah. That would be so efficient. Remember when I called the court a James Bond villain and then everyone got mad at me? 
look, I wasn't wrong. He's just so much more than that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that's one of those great like villains who's just so interesting that you'll forgive him all kinds of faults. Sure. Kyrgyzstan says uh, in Arc 9 of Ward, the goddess mind control arc. It's an obvious one, but still worth calling out. For the majority of the arc, we are in this weird, twisty, twisted headspace with Victoria. Everything in the text from word choice to character focus to what wasn't said impacted by Goddess's alignment of our POV character. It was super interesting to read. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I really enjoyed that part of the book, and I, I kind of want to go back and read it again. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I can't wait to reread that part specifically. Yeah. Dos Niveau says the end of Worm and Queen Administrator as the new protagonist. The dissonance between the written word and the dangerous screaming crowd and the cheering crowd we as the reader think they are. The inhuman perspective where we have to decipher the reaction based on our flawed perception of the human mind. Dasnevo says this is a bit like Vampire Masquerade Bloodlines, where the character, where the player has to guess what the character has asked based on the answers when playing a Malkavian, a, the crazy clan. Never played that game, but uh, that sounds cool. It sure sounds interesting. I don't even know what that is. No. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, I like that answer. Uh, Elliot says, uh, I know this feels like the obvious slash easy answer coming from me, but packed especially with the no lying rule practitioners are beholden to. It leads to so many amazing examples of clever phrasing and wording uh, that hit you in retrospect and gets you to start studying every word people say to find the hidden meaning. It's honestly such a fun mechanic. Yeah, of course, that is Elliot as in host of Deep Impact Elliot. <laughs> yeah, that, man, that, that's I agree. That is one of the most fun things about Pact for me is that you pay three times as much attention to dialogue as you usually do because yeah. you're like, okay, what do they actually say though? Yeah. Exactly. Did they actually say what the other character thought they said or did they use some weasel word in there? And it's so fun and engaging. Yeah. Uh, Googleplex Byte says Bonesaw's prosopognosia gas was fun. Also, I wonder if it relates to Victoria's genocide. No, yeah. it doesn't because it's not, it's not a real genocide because <laughs> I cracked it. I did it. There you go. Yeah, we're yeah. going to official company policy is that I mean, you're right about this. Let's just say that it would be very fitting to the times we live in, Matt, for them for Bonesaw to manufacture some sort of super flu uh -huh. um, that targeted the capes. Yeah, we yeah. call it the Corona Polenta virus. Oh, my God. Oh, Jesus. That's not an original Scott thought. I got that from uh, from ward spoilers i would give credit to who it is i'm not going to take credit for it though it's not me not okay me. okay still <laughs> still all, all those sounds i made still uh wanson says uh, the way victoria was talking to her gun as a mirror for how she wishes people would talk to her yeah she's kind of she's kind of talking it up saying it's, it's gonna be okay gun it's gonna be all right you don't have to bear that burden on your own gun there are people out there who love you she didn't say those exact things, but I, I think she would if she sat with it long yeah, enough. She left gun behind, Matt. We didn't talk about that, but she subbed out gun for flash gun. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's why she's doing so badly now. She doesn't have Wilson to lean on. There you go. That's the only logical explanation. Yeah. Uh, so Blue Harbinger, uh, Harbinger, rather, sorry. I don't know why I pronounced that word wrong so much. Says uh, they've got a, a long one here, Matt. Um, <clears throat> their basic idea is how Wildbow um, links March and Jack Slash together. Um, 
They say a lot of people made comparisons between Mark and Jack, Jack Slash after 12.all dropped, usually as part of the often frustratingly contentious debate over March's level of success against the heroes. Later in 12.x, Narwhal directly compares the two in text, saying, The paper pushers wouldn't get it. They talk about the budgets and hint at budget cuts, and, and blame would be shifted, and it would repeat... It would be a repeat of prior engagements against Jack Slash all over again. But they had a boy who'd beaten Jack Slash in the Wardens. Jack Slash had had an unknown factor giving him an edge. His power gave him the upper hand against any pair of humans, and a Slaughterhouse 9 made it next to impossible for civilians to get him. March's Cotier didn't cover weakness so much as it augmented her strengths. And they say many many took this to be a tongue-in-cheek, in-text response to the more vocal and dissatisfied readers. What's interesting that this is actually the second time Wildbow established a d- direct connection between March and Jack. Um, and they go on to talk about uh, Golem and how Golem's hands and how they related to uh, Taylor's like extrasensory perception via her bugs um, and how March also uses that extrasensory perception um, against Golem in 12.all. Um, and against and against Jack in uh, 26.b. Um, mm-hmm. So they're, basically they're saying there's a subtextual not said link between the success of Jack Slash as a cape and the success of March mm-hmm. um, that Wildbow demonstrates here through the links and, and through Golem specifically. Yeah, and basically this connection of saying like they both have access to this kind of shard fuckery hack that allows them to get away with things that normal capes don't get away with. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Cool. All right. Uh, Dianthus Amarensis. Amarensis. Sorry. I always mess that one up too, because I always expect it to be the other word. Um, <laughs> and it might I'll, be, I might just be typing it wrong. No, I don't I think, think so. I think this is, I think you're right. Uh, Dianthus Amarensis. God damn Nailed it. it. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so outside of her interludes, Imp, Taylor and Victoria have no idea what is going on at any, at any point when her power is in play, but Wildbow expects us to understand. Several of her little moments in Worm are just practice for us to remember what she does in certain situations so that when she is affecting the scene in spec, we understand what is going on even when Taylor doesn't. Uh, yeah, I like that. Um, he, he, he sets up and reinforces this mechanic so that he can rely on it when he doesn't have the bandwidth to remind us yet again. Yeah, yeah. But Imp is dead, right? So Imp's dead, dead. Yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. dead. Definitely dead. Um, all right. Last but not least, we have Rid Tom, who talks about the scene between Amy and Victoria when Victoria uses her aura on Amy. So this scene is my adoptive family. Amy mumbled into Victoria's shoulder and stop trying to use your frickin power to make me squee over how amazing you are. Doesn't work. I've been exposed, so I'm no longer immune. I'm so so long. I'm immune. I'm not using my power. Dumbass. Victoria told Amy, letting her go. I'm hugging my sister, my awesome, caring and merciful sister. And Red Tom says, see, here's the thing. Victoria really wasn't using her aura here throughout this interlude. You'll note that whenever Victoria uses her aura, the text explicitly calls attention to it from her POV, usually calling it out as a wave or simply mentioning the aura coming from her body. But not here. It's noticeably not mentioned at all. But the previous events and Amy's dialogue quickly make you assume Victoria would do this until, as the reveal with Dean and later Panacea interlude shows, Amy is attracted and in love with Victoria. Reread the text in that light and noticing the pattern for use of the aura, it's subtle but interesting tease by Bo. So the part that they read is in like Victoria's interlude in arc two. Um, yeah. And there's so there's yeah, I, I agree with that because um, Victoria's interlude and its use on Amy has been this this contentious thing in the community um as in like the reason amy's in love with victoria 
is because of the aura, right? And there's nothing, there's never been anything in the text that has ever said that, that yeah. that is the, that is the result of prolonged aura. Right. Like, like Amy, Amy threw that out as a, as a like explanation. And right. then, and then everyone is just like, yeah, but like it didn't affect anyone else that way. And I was around a lot of other people for prolonged periods and used it around them and so forth. Right. And, and as we've gotten to know Amy more, we know, uh, that Amy comes up with a whole bunch of reasons for why things aren't her fault. Yeah. Um, and that's right in line with that. But yeah, I like this, this little, this little subtle hint here that Wild Bo is kind of establishing that Victoria isn't using her auras at, at, at times when Victoria or when Amy rather assumes that she is. Right. Because she's just in love with her. Yeah. She, she's yeah. already squeeing over how amazing she is because she's in love with her. I love that. I love yeah. that. It, I, I think it's funny how uh, Rid Tom says the reveal with Dean and the panacea interlude. Well, so, so, so the reveal with Dean is what I was laughing at because I was like, I don't like maybe someone smarter than me saw that as a reveal, but I, I it just passed over my head completely the first time. I don't sure. remember. I don't remember if you picked up on it as intended. I, I think it was just something that stu- that kind of stuck out to us. I could go back and listen to that episode, but yeah, I honestly don't remember, so I can't. I can't say. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for this week's discussion question. Yeah. Next week's question is ambiguity. Okay, for real. The, the question is: Talk about a time Wild Bo has used ambiguity, and that is different from the question we asked this week, right? It's not yeah. subtextual things; it's just ambiguity in general. Um, and and maybe explain how that ambiguity works, or maybe doesn't work. Um, yeah, in, in in favor of what you think the book is trying to do with it. Right. There's you know the ending of Worm is one that I can think of off the top of my head. So yeah. you could use that. You talk about that one if you wanted to. But what I I thought about, of man? several That's examples. Not ambiguous. Psh- yeah right psh, psh, she's alive psh. yeah that's, um, true. that's what it is yeah that's what you meant right totally all right that's discussion question time is over scott let's get into some march's madness all right so first we're going to go through our round two results um matt there's 16 of these so again i don't think we're going to go through every single one a little little too much still to cover on a show and have it be reasonably length of reasonable length, which okay. we're already way past that. But I wanted to talk about some of the big ones and I want to read some of the comments on some of the, the surprising and close ones. Um, so once again, Matt, uh, fume hood continues to be the Cinderella story of the bracket <laughs> because number 12 scene fume hood, 12 seed fume hood in round two took down the number four seed, the the major malfunction named Carrie added, um, it, and it wasn't even it wasn't even close, Matt. It was it wasn't even close. It was seventy four to twenty six percent. I I was shocked. I was shocked. Fumehood. Wow. I don't wow. understand this fandom at all. <laughs> um, let's see some of the comments on that matchup if we have any. Um, we have Dared Dunkel who says, "Why is there an in team fighting so early?" And it's uh, it's because Scott um, seated Fumehood improperly, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we have Jordy who says, Carrie, all the way, Fumehood is a good egg and deserves all of our love. But I think she owes a lot of her best moments and growth to the major malfunctions. It doesn't feel right to vote for her over one of her kids. Um, you know what? I agree with that sentiment. But you know who doesn't agree with that? Uh, about 700 people. <laughs> yeah. That's it was, uh, it was rough. It was rough. So that's uh, Carrie added gone. Poor um, Carrie. Yeah, you you were invulnerable, but not in this case. 
Yes, sadly, sadly. Um, our, our other big matchup was in our shin bracket. We had the number four K for Kate going up against number five withdrawal. And whew, Matt, shockingly, shockingly, uh-huh. withdrawal takes down for Kate oh 51 God. to 49 percent, 51 Whoa. to 49 percent. It was, I think, let me see how many votes here. I'll, I'll, I'll get it up here. Um, do, 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 do. Take this is time. a tremendous upset. It is. It is. Um, it was 23 votes. 23 votes made with wow. win. Um, that's uh, that's tiny. That's a tiny sliver. I'm I'm I don't know how to process this, Scott. I'm just speechless. It's rough. It's rough. Sarah Penguin on the comments says, "Got to vote for Cat Girl, Cat Girl, Fox Girl, and Weasel Girl." <laughs> okay. Um, my chemical Ramit says, I thought long and hard about this one. I eventually came to realize how brilliant I think that, that it is that Kay, who appears from the outset to have the weakest sense of self-identity, perhaps of anyone in the story, one that is constantly in flux is actually the most able to recover from the loss of self that is death and being resurrected as part of the flock. She is not only constantly interrogating herself and her identity. And even when she comes back lower on the scales, she's focused on how to better herself from where she is, not how to get back exactly to who she used to be. Her power is perfectly enmeshed with her themes and her character, and she's a gosh darn great character. P.S. Withdrawal is also great, and I love him almost as much. Well, man, that's a great excuse to vote for Furcate there. But Yeah, it's a really good argument for a dead character. Because mm-hmm. yeah. remember, everyone, these characters die when they lose. Well, they turn into titans this year. Oh, okay, yeah. sorry. So she's, she's a titan not, now. She's not yeah. dead. She's okay. She's a giant titan. Okay. Um, some other key matchups here. Matt, I'm sorry, but uh, your favorite person, Tristan, has lost. <sighs> Tristan lost to Rachel, 39 to 61 percent. Wasn't even that particularly Damn close. It. <laughs> um, ex- uh, sad, sad for me to see Tristan go as well. Um, Rachel is just too good, apparently. Some of the comments we got on this one uh, from Hero Vera Bull. Vera Bull um, will not happen. There's only one Vera left. There cannot be a bull. A lot of people are upset about the lack of a Vera Bull. I'm, uh, I, I agree. I mean, it's unconscionable. I don't know who let this happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Placid Platypus says, far and away the hardest matchup this round. In the end, Rachel just hasn't been a big enough part of Ward to get my vote. I agreed and voted for Tristan, but sadly other people didn't. Um, some people made a good point though, that, um, even though Rachel didn't feature a lot in the story, she slides into its themes very well. Isaac said, aunt Rachel in a story about recovery, Rachel is the OG recoverer and Kush said, Rachel has got my vote. She hits so many themes of the story that voting against feels like voting against Ward. So that's interesting. I mean, she doesn't have a large role in the story for sure, but thematically her journey mirrors the journey of this uh of this book a lot so yeah fair enough yeah so cool any more matchups um i'm trying to see so rain our number one seed easily defeated love lost easily just just blew her away makes sense um chicken little beat the cronus titan 58 to 42 percent so that was close byron won as well um finale lost against missy uh, one of my hardest personal matchups which everyone agreed that it was a hard matchup but vista dominated against poor finale 74 to 26 percent so um kenzie advanced as well sveta advanced as well and uh victoria and ashley ashley oh my god the the biggest the biggest 
destruction of this week's matchup is Ashley versus Slashley. And Ashley won 96% to 4%. Uh, it's funny because there's that's the that's the only major landslide. And then I think K, K versus withdrawal is like the closest ever. Mm-hmm. But it seems like most of these matchups are like 60-30 um, no, I mean, sorry, 60, 40 or, or, or 70, 30 type matchups. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, which is kind of cool. I mean, it's, it's kind of cool to see like, like each side has their fans. Um, generally there's one that surges ahead, but, but there's still always a, a big contingent who voted for the other side. So that just means everybody loves these characters. Yeah, definitely. Um, and guess what, Matt, it's only going to get harder because <laughs> yep, yep. now we are officially in the sweet 16 and let's go through these matchups and make some selections. Matt, you want to start with uh, the Aleph bracket? Every dog, matchup? every dog has his day matchup. All right. Uh, Rain Frazier precipice versus Rachel Lint. You know, we got some really good arguments for why Rachel is uh, a, a good pick, but man, I think rain embodies those themes of Ward. Even more than she does. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with the character who is actually one of the main characters of Ward as embodying Ward. I mean, I, I think his character and sort of the gimmick of the dream room is such a fantastically creative idea. Um, it's one of those things that I'm going to carry away from the story and, and refer back to through the rest of my life, for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely. Next matchup. Uh, we have Waterfowl, which uh-huh. is our matchup between Chicken Little and Capricorn Blue Byron. Beautiful. Um, who are you voting for on this one? Um, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Chicken <laughs> Little. Yeah, I'm voting for Chicken Little. Okay. Um, I like Byron, but I liked Tristan more. I like Tristan more too. Sorry, everyone. Yeah. Um, I know I'm not supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> you can do whatever you want, Matt. Uh, all right. Bet matchups. Uh, here we have the right headspace. Lisa Wilburn, Tattletale versus Missy. See, I mean, I, I, God, this is so hard. Why is why why do I love Tattletale so much? Explain it to me. Because she's fucking great. She is. I'm voting for her again. Okay, I am tired of Tattletale winning all the time, though. I said this last week. I'm going to say it again. I'm voting for Missy. Okay. I don't think she's going to win, but I'm voting for her. Okay. Thanks. Thanks. All right. <laughs> just canceling you out buddy doing uh-huh. doing my job all right next up in the bet matchup we have eye catching um which is kenzie martin slash lookout versus sveta slash tress um which yeah. I, I don't know why i keep tress in there like i haven't heard someone call sveta tress in like oh, a year wow. yeah right um uh why why this is a hard one man this i love both of these characters yeah I mean, this is this is like the first time I've ever just been like, I don't want to vote on this. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I might just pass. You have to. That's not how the game works, Matt. I. But I want them to both be friends and be happy. It's and not. Win. It's not gonna happen. One of them is turning into a giant titan. Okay. Well, right now I care more about Sveta because she just turned into squid sveta and yeah. i'm worried about her and i don't want her to be sad and so i'm voting for her Me that's too. the only reason that's not my only reason sveta is one of my favorite characters in the story i've always loved her and uh i kenzie's great love kenzie don't want to take anything away from kenzie but you put this choice in front of me i'm gonna pick sveta all right all right 
your funeral. All right. I, wow. I don't. I don't know what <laughs> people, that means. Are people going to kill me? <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to make it seem really, really dire. Okay. All right. Here, Gimmel matchups. Uh, keeping the doctor away. Victoria Dallin versus Fumehood. You have the the number one seed versus the twelve seed. Yeah, this is our Cinderella story for Fumehood. I think it's coming to an end this week. Matt. I, I, um, I think so. It's been a good run for Lauren, but I don't think she can get past Victoria. Yes. Goodbye, Lauren. Uh, and I and I am I am helping that along by voting for Victoria. As am I. Yeah. All right. Next up, we have Being Inhuman, which is our matchup between Dragon and Defiant and Chris Elman Cryptid. Uh, easy vote for me. I, I talked about my reasoning last week that Sweet Sixteen is where Dragon and Defiant deserve to fall out, and I'm voting for Chris. Yeah. I, I I mean I suppose Chris could turn around and become a horrible shit and make me hate him, but uh, right now I just. He's just that lo- that kind of lovable scumbag that we all just want to see him redeem himself. So. Look, Chris could turn around and be a horrible shit and make me hate him, and I'd still vote for him. Cause True, fair. I-, I love that horrible shit. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, next matchup. Uh, take take your medicine. Mm-hmm. Yes, take your medicine. Ashley Stillen, Swan Song versus Withdrawal. You had a good run. run- yeah, you had a good run withdrawal, but... Uh, Ashley. Ashley's Ashley. Ashley's Ashley. Ashley's, Ashley's one of my Ashley. favorite characters. Yeah. I mean, in the world. Look, like, Withdrawal managed to upset Furcate, and I'm very happy for him. Good job. The only major malfunction that made it to the Sweet 16. But yeah. uh, Ashley's Ashley. Yeah. I mean, you've got that cool syringe power that almost stopped the cycle one time, but Ashley's got that planet devastation power that destroys planets. So And, and my heart. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, our final matchup of the week is Unseen Guardians, our matchup between Aisha and Fragile One. Um, it's been it's been a it's been a good run for the Fragile One. Um, uh-huh. But I don't know, Matt. I think Impa's going to take it here, especially after a week of near death scare for everyone. I think people are realizing they almost lost Imp and are going to be more in love with her than ever. Yeah, I think I think Walbo, you know, saw the direction that this bracket was heading and was like, I need to remind people of, of how much they love her. And they, <laughs> they, you know, just gave us a little scare. I think that was his, his sole motivation for doing that in, in the story was right. manipulating our Marsh's Madness bracket. I think you are right. And I have voted for her now. So have I. So that is it for the matchups this week. Uh, voting for these matchups will close this Sunday at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. And then our Elite Eight matchups will begin um, it's getting down to the wire, so it's going to get even harder. Like I'm looking at who will be up against each other if all the people that I picked went to win will win. And uh, damn, damn, damn. Yeah. Wow. Damn. Good luck, everyone. <laughs> yeah. And that's it for us this week. Yeah, that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach out to us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or over on our Twitter account at gotwormpod. My personal squitter, Twitter, squitter, <laughs> squitter, this should just be called squitter now, is at scottdaily85 and Matt's is at Squitter. Yeah, that's right. And if you're not already subscribed to this podcast, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. We've got Ward is on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. 
And as always, you can find all the other shows we do over at our website, doofmedia.com. That's where you can find Deep Impact for a few more weeks. They've started releasing uh, their little snippets of the uh, live stream on the Deep Impact feed. So uh, now it's I think the epilogue just came out this past weekend. So Deep Impact is officially complete. Every single chapter has an episode now. So perfect time to binge it. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I actually really appreciate that they've split it up like that because navigating through the 24 hour live stream was uh, uh, something that was going to be hard for me to do. So now yeah. I can just eat it at a nice slow pace. Yeah. Eat it. Eat it, Matt. That's how I I mean, that's how I consume podcasts. I don't know about you. <laughs> um, yeah. If you if you like any of our shows on the network and you want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash doofmedia. Supporting us on Patreon at the $20 level per month uh, gets you the power to force us to watch a movie or read a short story of your choice and do an episode of the, uh, about that on our other podcast, The Doofcast. Um, it, as well as every other level, also gives you the ability to vote in our fan art and costume contests and, of course, participate in the excellent Discord chat. And as always, while you are on Patreon, make sure you head on over to patreon.com slash wildbow and donate to him as well. This is his world. We are just playing in it. Yep. This week, special thanks to new patrons, uh, Bidoof's uh, Ids H, Ian W, and Isaac G. Welcome. Yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah, we really appreciate you. Hope you enjoy hanging around the community. Yeah, I enjoy it. Me too. <laughs> and of course, if you cannot afford to donate right now, especially in the crazy world we live in, that is absolutely okay. There are tons of ways to help us out. Instead, um, one of those big ways is, as always, leaving us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Uh, please drop us a five-star review on there. It honestly really does help. And of course, share the podcast. Um, share it with everyone. We don't know how to market. We're not good at it. We're tr- we're trying to do some stuff. It's it's interesting. It's but, uh, very interesting. We rely on you guys. We rely on word of mouth. And the cool thing about sharing our podcast is, at the same time, you're sharing Wildbow stories, and those are the real the real things. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> kind of the 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 whole crux of the whole the whole thing. Well, that's all we got for you this week. Next week we'll be covering uh, the next two chapters of. Maybe the last arc, which is called last. It is. It's called last. It's the last arc, Matt. <laughs> I'm. I'm still. I'm still under the influence of Mathers. So. Oh.